none of the scenes in this program were staged. ACI, Monday night, June 24th, and we just heard an original tune by our very own Maddie called Digging Up the Dirt was our introductory song. And Maddie, would you like to say a few words about this song? Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking. No, uh, yeah, I didn't write it on my own. I wrote it with uh, my friend Florian van Folksen. And then we get in um, Sven and Sven von Rothenbach and Sven Rothenbach and, and a guitarist called Leo um, Heinrichs and then it was for a, it was for a TV uh, what do you call it like a cop show you know oh really and, okay. yeah and that was what was funny because so the director comes along Dominic Graf and he says I want a song and the only the, one, the main thing is going to have Yippie in it mm-hmm. I don't care what it is but it's got to have Yippie yeah and Yippie, and Yippie IA for me is um, Ghost Riders in the Sky. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I used to listen to the, yeah, we had a similar thing, Riders in the Sky on public radio when I grew up. I remember listening to them, yeah. Yeah, I love that song. 
and uh, I used to go to watch Aston Villa play, and I used to sing that in 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 the stands as well. Instead of Ghost Riders, it was Holt Enders, which were the the Villa fans, and that was their end, you know. So, right, Holt right, Enders yeah. in the sky. Yes, and, you know, yes, enjoy singing that on the terraces. Yeah, yeah, so, it was. Uh, yeah, it was originally a song, and then eventually there was some series that was developed for public radio in the states called Riders in the Sky. I yeah. think they were sort of playing on same thing, sort of a Western kind of radio drama program. Anyway, continue. <laughs> well, what I kind of liked was this sort of right. This is a this is a righteous song, you know. It's like saying, "Hey, cowboy, you know, look at all you've done wrong. You know, you're going to hell, and hell's the devil's herd is riding after you, and you ain't never going to stop." Yeah, and um, so it's like a kind of, in a way, it's a moral story, you know. So, and I wanted to do something like that. Yeah. As soon as he got, so let's do something like that. And it threw together. It just once, sometimes things just happen, you know, really, really quickly. It's one of those that just happen really, really quickly. Uh, <laughs> and it's on really long. And this is because really? this, this is then we sort of understood and get the scene. And the scene is a, you know, <laughs> but it's funny because it's like kind of everything at the right, everything that sort of people would hate, you know, there's, there's a prostitute. <laughs> and it's a criminal and they're both on drugs and he's got a gun yeah and they're sort of like i've got this music on full blast <laughs> yeah and a guy runs up the stairs and, and bangs on the door and says her off he stop stop with your yippie yeah and that was the huh. reason it had to be a song with the yippie in it uh-huh and then i got this song and and because you know i'm listening to chris at the time right so so i had a sort of Johnny Cash thing and the, and the Ghost Riders in the Sky and listening to Chris and John, yeah, and um, so yeah, and I sent it to him, yeah, and he he uh, he said, oh thanks, but I had the feeling he didn't believe. <laughs> so really, you, <laughs> like, you know, I've just sort of stolen something from the internet. Said, hey, give this song, you know. Oh, really um, nice tune, really nice tune. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it too. And we got, and he got a Russian singer, the girl. Oh, no, I've forgotten her name. It's terrible. But I never met her, you know. Um, oh, she, she was just on another track somewhere else, and then mixed in later. No, no, he got her to come down and sing on it. We wanted that. We wanted the. I wanted that. We wanted the, the female vocal in there as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she belts out that big note at the end. Great. <laughs> no. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks. Great. My pleasure. It's great, you know. So it's, yeah. It's yeah, we'll bit. we'll have a link for that and uh, below in the notes. They're on archive.org and hey, we're sending a lot. We're sending, you know, sending too much love. We're selling something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I could always edit this out, and you'll never yeah. get credit for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cut my Patreon button. Where's my Patreon button? Yeah. Well, nice we're just here on another relaxed Monday. We've got Original Simulant muted. Mahatma Coat is maybe having some technical difficulties. Remains to be seen yet whether or not he'll join us again. And Maddie and myself, James, of course. Don't forget me. And Commander Zed. Hello. Hello. Hey. Yeah, my point about that... um that universalized um, fire is yes. that, that they've been selling people remasters under a false promise. 
for 11 years. Uh, right. So there was what what you're talking about is there was a fire basically at the Universal Studios, um, Universal Music Group archive, was it? Yeah, all the master tapes. So that's from Count Basie and Ella Fitzgerald and all that to uh, Nirvana and and later, you know. And that that fire actually oh. took place 11 years ago this month. Yeah. And they've been uh, issuing remasters, and they've just been remasters of remasters, not of the original tapes. You know what I mean? Right, right. So the it's originals actually perished in that fire, but they've still been selling these so-called remasters as authentic remasters, when in fact they're just taken from another recording yeah. of the original. Yeah, sort of false advertising. Yeah. Nice big scam they got going there. Yeah. And it's it's a little difficult to believe, though, isn't it? Don't you think that, I mean, you know, you've got something like that. Can't, frankly, can't base you, you know, this back catalogue that is worth, you can calculate how much it's worth. Oh, yeah. I mean, it goes back, you know, and there's loads and loads of well-famous so people on it. So you put all the, the master tapes in one place. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, the uh, the paperwork and the minutes from when they changed to four forty hertz. Uh, that got lost or destroyed by water damage in the move. So there's no primary documentation to go to when it was all changed to four forty hertz. You know what I mean? So there's no real kind of documentation of the reason they had for doing it. No. Mm. How convenient. How very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it just seems like a bad idea to keep all these, you know, priceless masters in one location. In one place, yeah. <laughs> just with no sprinkler system, it's fucking it stinks, doesn't it? Um, yeah, of course it it is also uh, immediately missing tapes of the moon landings yeah yeah all the telemetry data or whatever they said yeah Yeah. oh well we just lost it just oops sorry (laughs) just evaporated somehow Uh, we recorded over it recorded some uh super bowls over those tapes (laughs) whoops we we traveled like hundreds of thousands of miles Played around the golf, came back, but we lost all the telemetry data. Sorry, lads. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> that is one expensive golf outing. I'll, I'll say that. That's what a lot of effort to go whack some balls around. Yeah. <laughs> look out, Mountain Studios, probably. Yeah, I mean, I've had first hand experience of that. You know, I kind of helped put a band together here and and the, the guy that uh, i did it with he kind of he's got a website and everything i'm just totally written out of his account you know i don't exist yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, i was saying this was a point i had yesterday the other day about fakeology about or about yeah when um 
with Unreal when people say, oh, everyone's a shill, you know, or this guy's a shill, et cetera, et cetera, and voice morphing, et cetera, et cetera. You can't prove it to other people, but you can prove it to yourself because if you know, you know, you know yourself and you know who you are yourself, and then if you're being, someone says to you, yeah, you're a shill uh, or you're uh, whatever, then you know that the guy's delusional, yeah? So you can't prove it to anyone else, but you know it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and that's all you need, really. Right? Well, mainly, yeah. <laughs> kind of stay away sign then, isn't it? The amount of times I've been accused of being shill, I, I, I want my fucking wages. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> come on. I've got, you know, you're a musician, so you've probably, uh, PRS, isn't it, in England? I can't remember. Some sort of, you know, royalties, you know, if you get royalties from something. So so basically, um, there's a... Yeah, you got that. You got that, Mahama? What, Paul Reed Smith, you mean? <laughs> no, I mean, if, you, if you've, you know, if you've had songs on records and everything, then you're in PRS, aren't you? You get royalties somehow, yeah? Uh, we've sold all our albums. We've all sold out, and uh, there's no more, and that's it. Oh, that's it. So I, you I've never... got one copy. <laughs> well, you've never <laughs> done it with anything. Any... Okay, but what I'm saying is original. I mean, all you've got to have is some kind of way that they can pay you, basically. I thought, you know, kind of... If you've got residuals, the, isn't it called residual? Or yeah, there should be some, something going into some your account. Contractual. Account yeah. There used to be a way of, um, you re you record it, the tape, and then you, you post it to your self-recorded delivery. Yeah. That was and it, then that it's was automatically it. copyrighted and your name is your intellectual property. Yeah, oh, but we just recorded it and chuck it out there. Fuck it. Yeah, that was very punk. Yeah, sure, that was it. And the days of our like, intellectual property stuff's gone. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah, you're not, and then unless then you're not some straight up plagiarizing of, someone. Yeah, no, somebody comes along and finds your recording and sticks it on a fucking TV show, and there's money flying around there. Yeah, on the back of our CDs, we always put, um, if you're See this for uh, a tenner or more, steal it, or buy, <laughs> buy one off the band for a fiver. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I was like that then. I was like that then. <laughs> so I hope lots of shops that were charging up for a tenner got Global Parasite albums robbed. Yeah, what you want is, you know, one day you turn, like I say, you turn on the TV and there's you. One of your songs on the back of it. We got banned off the BBC. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Officially. That's, that's well, that's what you want, then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Success. Yeah, that's it. Can strike. It was a song about seven seven, and uh, it got uh, they won't play it. We got banned. They played a couple of our songs before because we were based in Wales, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was BBC, BBC Wales. Wales, yeah, sure. They're looking for, yeah, sure. But they won't um, play that one and other stuff. Hmm. And Banders. So that's how much a fucking shill I am. I was going to say, <laughs> what kind of shill are you? <laughs> Contacting the BBC. I'm from the Baby Bulgarian Corporation. <laughs> yeah, I suppose with uh, with distribution, you know, as far as goes, and small bands and things like that. I mean, 
distribution is really where they get you by the balls because that's kind of it's hard for a small operation to do you know to reach a wider audience without some kind of money coming from a big company yeah and right there you get locked into whatever contracts and different deals I, I don't know much about it myself, but it just seems like that's a kind of a stumbling block for a lot of artists is just getting distributed. Yeah, I, do, I don't do that with any of the bands I've been in, but um, if I I'll, I won't sign anything, and let, but if I'm sessioning for a band or whatever, I'll sign to, just to because you have to, it's contracts, and you know, I mean, you session for them and basically write the album for them, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll make it better and make it so the arrangements actually make sense and stuff, you know. Hmm. Yeah, that's a major, major facet of that whole industry that people don't actually realize a lot of the time, I think, like. You know, going back all the way, you always hear about the wrecking crew and all these session musicians who actually made a lot of these songs that other people take credit for. Yeah. It's like that's, that probably happens a lot more than people actually realize. Yeah. 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 Because especially pop music, it's about looking right, you know? So, so I mean, it's. Um, it, Carl Greenberg is his name, I think. Um, Max something his other name is. He, he's like a he's a uh, he's Norwegian or Swedish, and him and another bloke write all the most of the hot, top forty songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. But the but now they've got to put. Um, there's no bridges anymore. They've got, got to put a crescendo after a crescendo, and it's all starting to get really <laughs> muddled, you know what I mean? Can't go any further. Yeah. Well, in, in a people playing their instruments type of thing, it could. But as a pop thing, it'll never, you know, it's dead end there. Yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of pop tunes as, it's like the whole structure of of traditional songwriting is pretty much thrown out the window where in in some cases they'll just go straight into the chorus after a few bars and then it'll just be that kind of repeating for two and a half, three minutes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like a jingle. Yeah. Rather than a piece of music, you know. Yeah, because you build on a rhythm instead of, you know, build on a I got a few like that. And it's like the lyrics don't even matter at a lyrics are just there to fill the space and kind of Yeah, make a vocal sound. <laughs> right. yeah, but they still you still get the money for them if you write them. <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate auto tune. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's everywhere now. They go over the top and make it robotic deliberately. They don't have to have it like that, you know. No, you've got to work it to get it like that. You can't, uh, yeah. I mean, if someone's process. really out, it's going to be hard to get it in. But if someone's got a weak voice, but they're just about out, you know, flat or whatever, how people sing who can't sing, yeah. he'll fix it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but you put it on a real fast response and you can play with it. You're actually yeah. playing playing with that. Like you play with an effect, you know? Yeah. So actually it's not as unskillful as you think. I don't yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you could do it after after the fact. Some of the things you only do after the fact, possibly. But I also know that some people they play with it, you know. They can actually sing, that they use it as an effect. Yeah, yeah. Right. That yeah. that's different. That's like um using something as a as a vehicle to create with it rather than just using it for that, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't Sure sure that started it off, and nobody could, can't, you can't say Sure can't sing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was deliberately done, you know, just where she, where you, instead of where you would normally do a glissando, you know, sort of going, then it would go, yeah. And that's when you get it. So she's just got to kind of slide between a note, and then the fast response tidies it up. Yeah. I remember seeing the, the video to that song. I think it's Do You Believe in Love After Love or something like that. That's it, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, the share of the one. mate's house, he had the telly on and it, that was on. Yeah. And uh, she was sit, she was sat legs akimbo over a big gun barrel on a warship <laughs> singing it. And, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, so, yeah. Welcome to the world. Yeah, I think I'm it was the... shortly after that. Yeah, that was one of the first big like auto tune pop songs, as far as I can remember. And then after that, that auto tune sound became sort of a desired effect in a lot of these pop tunes, where people were doing it deliberately and just overdoing it because uh, you know they. Yeah. What people came to expect that kind of sound and it had its own sort of vibe or whatever, but I don't know. I don't think it sounds good at all. I don't like it. Yeah. Too old, man. Too old. Funny, I read a, a novel um, in the in early 90s and it was a, it had um, digitized vocals in it and music. You know what I mean? And the and the dance dancing and all that, but it was set a little bit in bit more in the future, and it was like they had screens where we would sync lip sync the, and it wouldn't be a real a real human singing it. It'd be a like a, a virtual a virtual human, but make her sexy and all that blah 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 and you know do the voice automatic automated and all that and uh people used to get off the reds by uh putting a net over the reds to some sort of electric um activate certain pleasure centers or something like that but this character in the book he got a super duper one and it means he could he could uh go around dropping anyone he liked and it was like he was tripping all the time in that weird book <laughs> but <laughs> quite prophetic what was this called little heroes it was called can't remember the author's name mucho machacha was the main character in it 
Merche Machacho. Yeah. It's not set in Spain, though. No, it's uh, US, I think. When was it written? Because, I mean, you know, it's been going on for a long time. Oh, cheers. Um, it was written, I read it um, early 90s, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole kind of craft work thing and the whole. Uh, that was when I read the uh, David Dyke book saying the, <laughs> the moon was really Lucifer. And was going to destroy the Earth in '96, but um, <laughs> we could stave it off till '98 if we just raised our vi- vibration, which we did, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> by Latin. Earth and death. We die. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that's, funny. That's... I, I type things. I often do it. Well, not that often, but um, this year. David Icke's net worth is like a quarter of a million. The year before, it was 10 million, and the year before that, it was 8 million. So you go from 8 million to 10 million, so all of a sudden, all you've got is a quarter of a million Hmm. on celebrating net worth, that is. Sorry, I didn't get the beginning of that. I can... In 2017, David Icke's net worth was uh, 8 million. In 2018, his net worth was 10 million. And in 2019, his net worth is quarter of a million. How do you explain that? Just shot down? Yeah. I didn't know he was worth so much. According to celebrity net worth, <laughs> it was yeah. eight and then ten and then a quarter. Oh, well, that's an extremely drastic drop. Yeah, I wonder what happened there. <laughs> well, nine and three, three quarters million. Fucking, <laughs> <laughs> just people just stopped caring, or like he's. Maybe lost a few contracts or something, or some. I think there's some. Maybe a bit deeper to it. Because this this is the era of get rid of the um, conspiracy theorists and uh, right wingers. Yeah, I tell you one thing as well. Now now the mainstream are moving into podcasts big time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every every. All of them, you know. I mean, the BBC radio is now basically every single program is a podcast, um, and uh, and other you know kind of professional people are now doing podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It's like see, if you can't beat them, take them over. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how long it'll be before YouTube is a charge service. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, same thing with uh, NPR, National Public Radio in the States. They're doing more and more podcasts all the time. They're hiring all these millennials who can barely speak on a microphone. It's pathetic a lot of the time. They're they're really, yeah, it's laughable. Some of the things I've heard. um, The the bloke with the CIA uncle, 
from No Agenda Show, who used to do MTV, didn't he invent podcasting? He's meant to be the father of podcasting or something, isn't he? Yeah, more or less, yeah. He kind of coined that term, I think, and sort of pioneered, yeah, the whole uh, you know, distribution aspect of it, kind of the technical side. No agenda. No agenda, my hairy ass. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Right-wing bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Takes you about wow, sixty seconds to figure it out as well. Left right paradigm, left right paradigm, left right paradigm. Vert Donald Trump, Vert Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good, very succinct. Yeah, yeah they always couch it. They, they always couch it in these terms, like, "Well, we're not necessarily we're not necessarily supporting Trump, but you know, it's crazy how people get so worked up and they they have this kind of very sly sort of." tacit support in a way and every Believe now me. and then every now and then they'll say th- something negative about uh trump but more or less it's it, it sort of leans toward the positive which is interesting did you see how the the u.s truth or industrial complex all cozied up together and they had an interview with alex jones and all that type of stuff oh yeah when, right when was that yeah. when was that what happened report they were all sort of interviewing each other. Yeah, yeah. All the basically right, right, right wing, like popular truth or industrial complex people, you know. Mm. Just in the last last couple of years, that's really happened. Yeah. With the um, yeah, the whole Rogan uh, conclave and all his people surrounding him, and yeah, is. I was thinking it was his four million deal with NBC, but his sponsors are dodgy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, right. Who are his sponsors? Fucking um, Dollar Shave Club. You won't believe how dodgy they are. They sound like innocent as fuck, don't they? Yeah, they do. And uh, on it, they're dodgy as fuck. Fucking loads of them. It's weird how all, all these um, companies or corporations with dodgy connections are all advertising our sponsors of all mm. these podcasts and that, you know. Right. Yeah, a lot of them end up, there. a lot of them are these kind of um, mail order businesses, like you're saying, Dollar Shave Club or the mattress whatever thing where just any kind of mail order thing where you, join a website and you get a box at your door with razors or meals or mattresses or whatever the fuck, you know, dildos, all this shit. And it's, um, yeah, it's all, it's all geared towards this online kind of environment, right? Where everyone's just doing this stuff on the internet. It's also convenient. Like you never have to leave your house to get any of the stuff anymore. You know, we've got everything right here. You love Joe Rogan. You like razors. You need to sleep on a mattress. So <laughs> you need some what uh, all these uh, yeah personal enhancement kind of fucking protein powders and shit like that yeah vanity items right we go something like that yeah yeah essentially yeah vanity yeah uh, it's a big big old gimmick big old gimmick market right now as you said <laughs> that the uh the subscription model is really hot. You know, I, we ought to 
look into that with my Patreons. What up, YouTube? <laughs> oh, but uh, no, but the subscription thing is it's uh, the convenience of it or whatever. Um, they're sold on the convenience, but ultimately, there's uh, the studies of, of people who like once you sign up for some kind of monthly recurring payment, even if you're dissatisfied or even if you never even use it, it's like a really high percentage of those people will never cancel it until they're so you know some uh, prompted by some other thing to do so. Yeah, you might have to fight them just to get your fucking reimbursement or, or to cancel it even without getting any money back. I don't know. Some of them are just like five. You know, I'm a, uh, I subscribe to, I think, two podcasts right now, I think. And uh, they're like five bucks a month. But uh, it's convenient enough, right, if you want to listen to it. But yeah. I'd imagine if, if I had... Um, some other, I don't know. There's some subscription services I wish I could get, like a look at this online grocery delivery thing. Expensive, convenient. You guys ever do it? The online grocery delivery? Nah. Right. Yeah, like, no, God, no. <sighs> Jesus. I don't even have an electric can opener. No, that's, that's like kind of, I think that's, you know, think, oh, right, now you, that's it. Pension. Year old mm-hmm. with the <laughs> food sent in right next to be fucking straw time. Nah, that's <laughs> not cool. Soon enough, they'll be bringing you your dog food to eat. You know. <laughs> anyway, I like I like I I go to certain places. You know, I, guess I don't. Uh, I know the people I'm going to see a lot of the time, and uh, yeah. Mm, it's not like get, that here. There's no no one shop I could get everything from anyway. Well, in America, it's just like, uh, you know, garbage central. So you just order all <laughs> you go to the, you go to the same place, <laughs> see the same faceless robots and like, uh, you know, <laughs> desperate people. And I mean, it's really like, you know, it might, there's something to be said for like, well, yeah, it is keeping people from leaving their house. But in another way, it's like, well, it's getting people to not have to go out and, you know, see the robots <laughs> and, inter- and interact with all the damn items on the shelf. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's fucking dead here since the internet, really. It, it used to be even, but now all, all the shops have shut, even the charity shops have shut. What? Jesus. That's bad. All there is is like, um, there's one pub on the high street that's always open. I mean, there used to be like dozens and dozens of pubs all rammed with people, but now yeah. there's like one pub with like half a dozen people in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, you know, if it was I was listening to this radio. That's Victoria Corrin, actually, on the mainstream. But I think she got a point. She's saying, she said, the smoking ban was the beginning of intolerance. Yeah. And not because, okay, do something about smoking or maybe a pub has to have now a smoke-free room or whatever or something, you know. But it was this, no, you don't smoke at all anywhere. (laughs) Apparently, the the French and the Germans, when when it came in there, they said, fuck off. Yeah, they did. They'll tell us. And so it never happened. I don't know if it's crept in incrementally since. Oh, it's it's, it's definitely much... um, 
better if you're a non-smoker um, than it was before. But no, there's loads of places then, I think, smoke-free for a certain time. At 10 o'clock, everybody can light up. Or there's the one room for smokers and one room for, for non-smokers. And sometimes the smoking room is still bigger. There are smoking clubs springing up now as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so where people get, and they say it's a club and then you can smoke. And then in the summer, everyone's outside anyway, so it's not too bad. But yeah, because it it really killed the whole that whole scene, cafes and pubs. Yeah. Cafes, not so much, but pubs definitely. Yeah. Because the people yeah. that didn't, didn't go to smoky pubs don't go to clean pubs. Yeah. They just didn't go to pubs, you know? They weren't that type. Yeah. I mean, you pretty clearly say you're not welcome here. Your habit, which is probably kind of who you are in a lot of ways for people, you're not welcome here. Buddy. It, was, it was great. And David Mitchell saying, yeah, you know, the thing about it is all the instant, all the interesting people are outside smoking. So he didn't smoke, but he wanted to go outside with them. <laughs> and it's kind of yeah. really, a bit weird not to smoke then because it's a bit obvious. Like, you know, I want to hang out with you cool people. <laughs> the the so pubs true, were the pubs with the comfiest seats and the heating and that out back where there's smoking yeah. area, they're the most successful because everyone hangs out there and chats. Yeah. yeah. You're in, uh, you're in Madison, James. Is that right? Are you from Madison? Right, in fact, he's on mute. But yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm from there. Spent a lot of time there. Yeah. We had, um, when it, when the smoking ban came in, I think it was probably not in 2000 ish. Uh, when I was living in, in Bloomington at IU. And that was just like the, the grumblings of it with like a little bit of uh, in, implementing. And then like you saw it over the course of maybe 10 or so years until yep. it was really in full effect. Right. And uh, just, just the amount of change that you could see looking back was, you know, really pretty incredible social engineering feat right there. Like, you know, they, and they, they yeah. really like uh, they slow dripped it, you know, and, Yes. It was just, uh, it, was, yeah. it was super, super effective, you know, whatever, like. I don't think it, it didn't become legislated until around 2010 or the late 2000s, somewhere in there in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. And even, you know, Tavern Owners Association, the pub owners got together to oppose it, basically saying it's going to affect our business. And yeah, yeah like, it, it was a big it, deal. The amount of people that would go in the bar, like you guys are saying, um, once they once they eventually phased out that second that optional um, or the option for the owner to like make one room uh, segregate the smoking area instead of just eliminate it, once right. that because that had a um, uh, a sunset on it anyway, so once that didn't get picked back up, like it really went the 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 amount of people like really went down considerably, but they would all people would smoke outside and then they then they uh really tightened up the smoking in front of like uh, yes. doorways and stuff, those, those rules. So then like now you had like cordoned off areas where you had even had to walk real far to go smoke, you know, before when it first came in, people were just like huddled near the staircase uh, on the, or not the staircase, but I mean like the entrance way stairs or something. Yeah. yeah. But like, uh, they'd be like, uh, um, just all outside, like, a you know, like Soviet Russia. But like, uh, then then they enforce that thing. They start cornering that off, and man, they just slowly the birds got them and picked them apart. Or I don't know what happened, but they all just the population just stopped coming. And a different it was replaced by a different population. 
bunch of people on Tinder who are going to go have, you know, rough sex yeah. with each other. So. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, people's houses are more comfortable. And uh, so, you know, it, it, I don't know. It used to be fuller and dirtier and less toilets. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have a roommate you went, to, you went to the pub just to go somewhere warm come out of the cold and have a bit of peace you know you found, you I went to get fucking wasted I don't know about you guys I went to get shit faced <laughs> well, weekend. I think I, weekends I, I, you shit faced but in the week you wouldn't you <laughs> I don't drink unless I'm going to get shit faced <laughs> <laughs> no fine <laughs> I don't think for the, the flavor either. <laughs> scenic route. Yeah. yeah I like me whiskey. Oh, right. Jeez. But I can't afford to drink, so I don't have any of it. But a nice, <laughs> sing- nice single malt, at least eight years. It has to be at least six before I didn't sell it. You know what I mean? Six years old. But there's there's other nice uh, single loads of nice single malts. There's this one where they roll the barrels out from in the in a cave in the cliffs, where they've got the where they keep the barrels, and in, in the daytime they roll it out and just leave it on the beach on 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 thingies. You know what I mean? Mm. And uh, it's and it's got a slightly salty sort of. Seaside sort of taste to it. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's all about the barrels and where you get them from, or what was in there before them as well. They get brandy yeah. barrels, don't they, and wine barrles, and various. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Maybe that's all just a bunch of bullshit, and it comes out of a pipe, like on the back of <laughs> yeah. like an, an, an industrial waste factory, and it like separates, <laughs> like the clear shit squirts into the vat. You know. No, that's, the great, New York? that's the great thing, was you can go up there and they show you around, and yeah. A taster. Of course, you've got to buy a bottle before you go, but uh, but, uh, but yeah, they'll show you the barrels. Gangs in New York, they take uh, they have that big barrel on the bar itself, and they take all the half-empty and bullshit cups, and they just dump them in the top of that barrel. It's called it says all sorts on it, and you can get a pull of the all sorts bottle for like half a half a bit, you know, where a man drinks easily two bits. Yeah, the English had that in the gin houses, slops, slops, yeah. There's this one uh, one bourbon in, that they make in the states. Um, it, it's called Jefferson's Ocean, where they actually yes. they they take their barrels and then they put them on a ship and sail it over <laughs> the Pacific, where you know, the motion of the ocean helps it all settle out, creates whatever some magical flavors, and they can sell it for twenty bucks more a bottle. You know? Is that a can, the- or is it a real thing? That's real, yeah. Right. I mean, they don't call the, uh, the I, don't know they, I don't know if they actually do that, but it's that's their marketing. All right. <laughs> and all, all, all the people that work on the boat. Possibilities. All the all the people that work on the boat uh, are half black. Interestingly enough. <laughs> yeah, but there's all sorts of things you can do. Then you could do something for the uh, the occult uh, side of things now. Whiskey that's been you know ritualized and gone through various initiations ceremonies. It's now 33 degrees. 33 degree whiskey. Ooh, yeah. I suppose that's the next step, isn't it? It's going to initiate me into fucking 
blackout. Yeah, that would be the real thing. Put some uh, sigils on their label in that. Nefarious Satanist Ritual Whiskey. Whiskey 33. They would no one. Those fine people that make that alcohol would never do such a thing. Yeah, they would never do such a thing to harm people or to <laughs> to, to induce people, you know, against their will to consume their product. It's the free market that makes people drink, you know, by God, and it's uh, it's all entrepreneurial, you know. First thing, first thing people do, isn't it, in, in prison after that? Some way, brewing. They do anything they can, I think. Yeah, get out of it somehow. Back to the smoking yep. thing. There's some fun guys in England, isn't it? There's a smoking ban, and they've got, you know, they, they shut the doors and carry on drinking, yeah? But the police caught them because they're outside smoking at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they're drinking illegally in the pub, but they still go outside for the cigarettes. Oh, God. <laughs> and, um, uh, and the other one I really liked was, I think it was, was it, hang on, Bulgaria, one of those... Sort of, you know, trans states along here, Europe and these, and um, it's uh, and, and the, the the woman went into the place and said, "Is it a smoking room?" And the woman and the woman behind the receptionist said, um, "No, it's a non-smoking room, but you'll be all right because there are ashtrays in there." And she uh-huh. and she went upstairs, and there was an ashtray, as, as and in the ashtray there was the no smoking sign. <laughs> <laughs> you decide. <laughs> we have that at our lodge uh, in Indiana, in the in the uh, in the uh, study. There's a uh, in the library. There's the ashtrays and stuff with the no smoking. Yeah, that's really nice. That you, you know, I like that. That mixed messages. That's mixed messages. That's what we get. We're faced with these things all the time. I know. I'm like, goddamn. Well, I hope somebody else smokes, and then I can do it. Or you know. Yeah, and I always like the quote, I've said this before, but that Russian, I don't know where this comes from, some Russian guy saying, the problem with the people in the UK, it's not the problem that, they, that they're everywhere, there are no smoking signs, the problem is that nobody is smoking next to them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. The thing with me is, if, if it's a no smoking area, like, say, a railway platform, It'll just make me gag for a roly all the more. So I'll end up having a shady roly on the platform, you know. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's the English always go all the way. So you... Right? Hey. And in, in Germany, you smoke at the ends of the platform. There's smoking areas. Yeah. They choke you in, you know. You've got to be in that area. But there's a you know, place to put your cigarette out. And there's a, they've still got a place for smokers. They still acknowledge that some of us are still here. Yeah. <laughs> For now, comrade. <laughs> Quite For a now. few young people as well. So, I, yeah, uh, I, I meet vapors, vapor, vapor people who vape. You know, vapors. Cyber, <laughs> cyber smoking. Yeah, and they dream of graduating to tobacco. My little lass said um, that vaping was worse for you than natural smoking, so she'd rather that I smoked than vape. Yeah. Wow. It's also for, for me. There's, there's also a certain. I've, I know too many people who sort of gave up smoking, bought a house in the country, and died. Yeah. 
I'm still here. Pretty cool. It's funny if you uh, if you fly in the states at all, um, any airport, like once you go past security, there is no smoking options anywhere. Unless maybe you know someone who knows a secret door and they'll let you through. But more often than not, you know, once you're past security, you cannot smoke. Um, uh, we've got who's but in the suck, suck, uh, sucking room. But in the in the Denver airport of all places, they have a they have a nice uh, smoking lounge in the Denver airport, which is um, it's pretty fun to go in there because everyone's just you know smoking like it's their last cigarette they'll ever have. <laughs> it's uh, we have people these, really ought to uh, good time. thank the Freemasons for all the all the good things we give you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have these glasses. Isn't, isn't, isn't Devin? Denver Airport, um, the airport that's like plastered in like occultic artwork. Yes, yeah, that's the one. Yep, Denver International Airport with the big blue Lucifer or <clears throat> Lucifer horse in front of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah all kinds of weird owns. sculptures and murals there. Yeah, all right. Is that sort of anywhere near The Shining? Then is that the country? Uh, the Shining's in Colorado, wasn't it? Or no, no, I can't remember where that took place. I don't know. The hotel was. Yeah, well, no, Denver Airport's in Colorado. But did, yeah, was it in Colorado or was it in uh, the Overlook? Was it supposed to be in Colorado? I don't know. I don't remember. Either. Sounds right. Is that anywhere near Denver? My American geography. I don't know. I mean, Denver's in Colorado, but I don't know. If... Oh, right, so it is quite near Denver. Cool. Okay, same state. See, I'm not far off. But, I mean, in Florida, like, uh, the tip, you could drive from the tip of Florida to the other tip, uh, and it'd be, you know, 12 hours or something. So, near yeah. is relative. Yeah. The sheriff is near, if you remember Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Where's the white women now? What'd they say about... God dang, Rachel. What'd they say about that sheriff? I think you're going to do some dick jokes now. <laughs> me? Me? Are you, if you're ready. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> and it's no. no, 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 no. We're going to have your uh, more of your Soviet bloc jokes. <laughs> Two ballerinas went into Commissar. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Potatoes, I only eat rocks. That's why your smile is so pretty. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's it, yeah. And the commissar said, get out of here. You are disturbing the people. And they did. Best joke I heard in a while, really. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> Russian, that's a Russian joke. That's a good one. Well... I found an article uh, on today's uh, CNN. You ever heard of CNN? This is a this is a, a trusted news source in America. Okay, Probably CNN, CNN, the authority on, on on news events and uh, facts. Especially, you guys are interested in hearing about NASA wanting to astronauts to go back to the moon in 2024. Is it possible? <laughs> <laughs> 
from CNN Business, Jackie Wattles. Washington, D.C., CNN Business. Only a few months ago, NASA officials were still hashing out plans for a slow and steady return to the moon in 2028. Then in March, Vice President Mike Pence made a stunning announcement. NASA was directed to return American astronauts to the lunar surface within the next five years, quote, by any means necessary. End quote. That return would mark the first crewed mission since the Apollo program ended nearly five decades ago. The new program, dubbed Artemis, won cheers from space enthusiasts who want the U.S. government to get serious about human exploration after years of stagnation. The program was also met with heavy skepticism and criticism from industry experts. There's a long to-do list. Speed up development of an overdue and over-budget rocket. New private, secure, uh, private sector partners. Build a small space station and crew-worthy lunar lander. Test the new technology. Train the astronauts. Create new spacesuits. And then safely land the next man and the first woman on the moon. The man in charge of it all, NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine admits he has his work cut out for him. Quote, a lot of things have to go right. End quote, Bridenstine told CNN Business Rachel Crane in an interview. Quote, there's technical risks for sure. There's budget risk, there's schedule risk, and of course the ultimate risk, which is we're putting humans on rockets, which is always dangerous. But, Bridenstine insisted, it can be done. Much of the hardware NASA needs for a crude lunar landing is either years behind schedule millions of dollars over budget, or doesn't yet exist. For example, NASA's powerful new rocket, Space Launch System, or SLS, was supposed to be ready for a test flight in 2017, but is now delayed until at least 2020. Its development has so far cost at least $12.5 billion, and a government oversight report published Wednesday revealed cost overruns to the tune of nearly $2 billion. Also on NASA's to-do list is a small space station, Gateway, that the agency wants to use as a command center and a lunar lander, which would ferry astronauts from Gateway to the moon's surface. Neither of those technologies currently exist. If, if, even if uh, NASA solves these issues, it still needs to add billions of dollars to its budget in order to put boots on the moon in just five years. As the saying goes, it's not rocket science. That's the hard part. It's political science. End quote. Laura Forzak from uh, the Astrolytical says, NASA's early estimate is that it will take an extra $4 billion to $6 billion per year on top of the agency's $20 billion annual allowance, Bridenstine told CNN Business Crane. Locking down the funds from Congress. Locking down the funds from Congress will be the biggest obstacle, according to Laura Forzik, who heads industry research firm Astrolytical. It's not rocket science. That's the hard part, she said. Across the aisle... Bridenstine is a former Republican congressman in, from Oklahoma, and his appointment to the head NASA, uh, his appointment to head NASA in 2017 was met with some controversy. The space agency is typically helmed by a scientist, a former astronaut, or an otherwise apolitical figure. Since taking office last April, Bridenstine has positioned himself as a nonpartisan advocate for exploration and garnered widespread support in the space community. It's important that we make sure that this is an all-American. Wait, sorry. It's important that we make sure that this is an all-of-America effort, Bridenstine said, and we're committed to getting this done with bipartisan support. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle with support for going back to the moon, but many remain skeptical. One of the biggest challenges and concerns is the timeline. Republican Kinderhorn's uh, Democrat who chairs the House Subcommittee on Space told CNN Business. Like several other members of Congress, Horn has been in after NASA for details about its spending plan and how the space agency will ensure astronaut safety. It's also not clear where the money for NASA's budget boost will come from. 
the Trump administration suggests that Congress siphon $1.6 billion from the Pell Grants program, which provides grants for low-income students, was rebuked by Horn and others as a, quote, non-starter. The Artemis generation, it took seven years from President John F. Kennedy's iconic 1962 speech declaring America would put the first boots on the moon until it did so with the first Apollo landing in 1969. At the time, Congress dedicated up to 4% of the federal budget to NASA in a fervent attempt to beat the Soviet Union to the lunar surface. These days, NASA receives less than half of 1% of the overall budget. No human has traveled beyond low Earth orbit in decades, despite attempts by several presidents to recreate a, quote, Kennedy moment without the Cold War. Quote, I think that the entire space community is united in a consensus to go back to the moon in a way that we have never seen before, end quote, Orzik, the space industry expert said. There's no guarantee the Artemis program will succeed, but will certainly mark a new way forward. Um, Bridestein said the long-term goal of the program is to establish, quote, a sustained presence on the moon, paving the way for astronauts to live and work at lunar outposts and prepare them for the first ever Mars mission. NASA also wants to kickstart a lunar economy with extensive private sector partnerships, potentially with companies like SpaceX or Blue Origin, which have their own plans to colonize deep space. The goal closest to Bridenstine's heart, he added, is, the Artemis, is to create the Artemis generation. He hopes the mission will galvanize... Um, he hopes the mission will galvanize young women like his 11-year-old daughter, who could watch a female astronaut's first steps on the moon, and it could recreate the magic of the Apollo for the millions of Americans too young to have witnessed the first lunar landings. You'll walk around this agency, you talk to scientists and engineers, they tell you exactly where they were when Neil Armstrong and Buzz walked on the moon July 20, 1969. Bridenstine, who was born in 1975, told CNN Business. I'm the first NASA administrator that was not alive for the moon landing, he said. I don't have that memory. Well, there you go. And you've got thousands of people homeless. Mm. Culture creation. Yeah. Yeah. The Artemis generation. Artemis is uh, the twin of Apollo. He's the god of hunters, isn't he? The god of hunting. Yep. Goddess of hunting. The hunt. Yeah. So, Hmm. I thought... uh, you know. So Diana, basically, she's Diana, isn't she? Yeah, yep, yeah. she is. Yep, the virgin, the eternal virgin. The, you know, the maiden, the huntress, and the maiden. Isn't there a this... time of year specifically for uh, Artemis and the the uh, the goddess of the hunt, or whatever it's called, around Beltane? I think. <sighs> yeah, this, the Artemis is the uh, Artemis Diana is your. Uh, is your uh, goddess like your uh, definitely like your syncretic goddess? Who's besides like Sybil or uh, or like the 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 great mother goddess is uh, uh all really demands a lot of uh, killing. Yeah, yeah. Needs a lot of uh, needs a lot of blood to be happy. So you see her in the like represented the different like. The, Right. Like the, the golden bow, right? Was the golden bow? I think was the, uh, the uh, was to do with Artemis. The story of like the killing of the king and all that. Was the, yeah. The Artemian ritual. I didn't, yeah, why do they need very, a space um, station on the moon? You think? It was always the idea. That's. I mean, they were selling the same thing. Okay, when you know, 
was the whole, you know, just, they've just been kicking the can down the road, you know. It's always been four years' time, four years' time. So you get lots of these articles saying, in four years' time, in four years' time, and nothing happens, you know. Well, they need more money. They just need more money. That's all, that, that's all it takes. They need new spacesuits, apparently. I don't know why they just don't get the old spacesuits out. They got them over in the freaking Smithsonian. Nah. You know? uh, yeah. they, need, they need my money so they can get a PlayStation on the moon. I mean, do you, do you really need a bear? Come back and get me. Uh-oh. Oh, you broke out. Uh, you cut out there. Come on. That me from... Moonbase Alpha transmitting now. Commander Zed. Somebody has to come back and get me from the moon. Hello? Hello? Anybody there? <laughs> is, that, is, that Gus, is that Gus Brisson? This is Zed. Yeah. I think it was the UFO. Ready? It's a Zachary Sitchin. <laughs> That's very, um, yeah, that's pretty, like, right in your face with the whole Artemis thing uh, being very heavily connected to, you know, protector of females and the moon being considered a feminine sort of body. And yeah, true. And, and sure even is. in the article, you know, the guy's saying, well, this is for my daughters and we're going to put the first women on the moon and, and all that. Yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah. You got it. Our, really, team, yeah, is, our, our team is, you know, not Apollo, you know, it's the girl. Here you go. Obviously, you know, very uh, deliberately named all these projects and programs. And huh, yeah, yeah. she's gonna, the, they're gonna take the first man, the man on the moon on the Apollo mission, and uh, the first woman on the moon is gonna actually eat him like a mantis, <laughs> devour him, and burst out of his chest. They make the first nest on the moon. I mean, hi, I mean, uh. Moon base. Well, it does make sense if you're going to swarm into the universe, yeah? Because women can have children. You don't need many men. Not Diana. She's uh, never going to have children. She's a uh, sworn virgin forever. Yeah, she's chased, the lead. chased forever. But she has yeah. a choir, you know? She has yeah, a bunch she, of she, 60, do- 60 daughters of Okinos or something. Yeah, <laughs> and, but they're not going to. Yeah. They're just going to take us underground and milk us for our semen, the ones of us that they keep alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what those fantasies they used to have, didn't they? <laughs> they <always> stay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my IQ is uh, 220. I'm be hooked up to that thing and drain like a dang Dracula every day. Uh, there'd be worse ways to die, I guess. Why don't they just wait for life to evolve on the moon? I mean, it's got to be right around the corner. You need moisture, don't you? Hmm? You need moisture. Apparently, the temperature of the moon surface is like two or three hundred degrees. Just It'll right. Just, for, just just right for a game of golf, incidentally. Just just wait but, for the moisture to evolve. <laughs> yeah, but they knew how to make spacesuits. The same people that made, like, Playtex made the spacesuit or something. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Fisher yeah, Price. Something like that. <laughs> Lifts and separates. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but there you go. Sounds but, good. 
I'll watch it. I'll watch a demo. Wouldn't the uh, astronauts' safety be the number one priority? Well, they don't even have the technology to to get them there. It doesn't even exist. They said so. I think they're pretty yeah. safe on Earth. For now, but they're going to need some really good. <laughs> come on, let's face it. They're going to need some really good um, special effects and everything now to get to to do a new fake. You know, so they will need a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah, even to pull off a an, a, a fake in these day and age, this is going to be. You know, I'm sure they could do it. I'm sure there'll be, you know, little cracks in it and there'll be that little those freaks on the internet saying, Look, this doesn't line up and this doesn't line up and everything's wrong and we'll know it's a fake, but Yeah, but I think it'll be I think it'll be easier actually. I think it's easier to, to would be easier to not because the technology's better, but just because the like if you if you just film the Nevada desert and some astronauts out there, you know, guys in astronaut suits out there, uh just during the day and said it was the moon. I think you would have, uh, you know, 75% at least people would say, would believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's brought, when they bring down the whole of the bear, when the, all the presidents are tweeting, yeah, this is amazing, queen, and everybody's like in on it, what are you going to do? <laughs> That's right. That's looks, what looks happens, like, isn't it? Yeah, well, if you look at those Mars rover pictures, they're not... Uh, they look just like the desert picture here. So why wouldn't they just... I mean, people. no one's like, that looks dumb. I mean, some people are, but... You know, most people think it's great. Yeah. NASA gets $57 million a day. How much? And, uh, $57 million a day. Yeah, and yet they, they can't rebuild a Saturn V rocket, which is supposedly what the first lunar missions was based on. The Saturn V rocket, right? But you can't do Carrying that anymore for some reason. That's no, because Philip von Braun took the plans with him. You know, he knew he knew what they were going to do. We were going to colonize space, and and our evil plans. He stemmed them. He was a time traveler. Came back in time. Colonized. Yeah, I you don't know. know. A, you know, there was a James Bond film with the lunar lander in it. Yeah, live and let die. I think it was. When Jedi used to go on uh, Oakbusters, Carl, he um, he said it was the same one as that was used in the that went to space or whatever to the moon. I saw the the lamp. Yeah, I saw the 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 uh, the uh, real one or whatever at the museum in uh, in Alabama. Maybe it's one of them they had, but. He was in like the NASA museum in, in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, that thing, man. They have these. They have the the freaking uh, astronauts. It's so small. They had to scale down the model astronauts that are standing outside of it and wearing the spacesuits. They had to scale them down because they didn't look like they would fit inside the lunar lander. Yeah. Uh, if they at, at their accurate portion, because they couldn't, yeah. because it, they couldn't get in the stupid hatch. They're so they're so small. It's like the yeah. size of a car. Yeah. Yeah, there's a film though, there's a new film though, isn't there? Now. So they really are, you know, you know, putting this to bed now or trying as much as they can. All this stuff taking over the podcast world. Again, it says enough conspiracy. Now we've got to get real people. Doesn't matter whether it's true or not, these are the games we're playing. <laughs> oh, so, there's uh, that yeah. That truth shit's out the window. It's dumb. Nobody cares yeah. about that anymore. Yeah, it's like uh 
all you need to do, it's, it, you don't need to tell the truth. The truth is orange man bad. The other truth is everything, uh, any means necessary to get orange man bad out of office or conversely protect orange man good from traitors. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Nowhere in the uh, mix is, is there any, but, room hey, for any of this? I didn't, I notice, I don't know, in passing, I noticed though that, um, that Jeremy Corbyn, I got this, this, but Jeremy Corbyn had sort of called into question the whole Iraq tanker thing, you know, the source of information. Yeah. Oh, Iran, right? Iran, right, you mean? Oh, I haven't heard of that now. So he still does that, just like they also kind of, not not vehemently, but they put it out there, also called into, you know, the question Salisbury. First of all, they went, hmm, wait a minute, we don't know, you know. And, uh, and then they had, a, you know, a very good politician sort of doing this stuff, so you didn't really know what they were saying. They seemed to be going along with everything, but but they they said it. And that's, he's, that's the second time he's done that. Interesting. All right. I like that, that, that there's this uh, over acceptance of, of, the, of a thing called fake news, yet no one uh, has any issue with the existence with the of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Like, right. they're like President Trump and his fake news. Why don't we say, you know, I would think you'd go out there with your hair on fire and be like, holy fucking shit. Some of the news is fake people, you know, no, 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 no. Just, you know, just uh, this little bit over here yeah. and nothing, you know, nothing to see here. You no wider so? implications. No. Don't, don't you think yeah. more people are kind of like don't you, living in Soviet Russia? I told you there's a story about you know, the guy going to Russia and he noticed that everyone took their dog for a walk at the same time. And he's, when he asked about it, it was because that's when the news was on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing about that is like... <laughs> When Trump says it, you know, when Trump says fake news, then automatically a lot of people are going to think, well, because he's because he says it, then it must be bullshit or whatever. It's just, you know, his he's trying to cover his ass or whatever. And, you know, orange man bad type of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of twisted around. Right. Yeah. Dialectic. Like, it's just is where's the support of. uh or where's the definition of what real news even is or whatever, you know? <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly there's some problems with the Iraq war story, but that's all been forgotten. Swept under the rug. President Obama, the peace be upon him. He came and <laughs> ushered in, ushered in a glorious utopia. But now the dear leader has been ousted by, you know, orange man. I don't orange man in his, in his, uh, Cannibal. I don't know. I kind of just said it rudderless. I don't know what to do. Facebook. I can't believe anything on Facebook anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just, you know, same thing. Coda and repeat. Same thing. I reckon Don King will probably be an next US president. <laughs> the boxing impresario. Yeah. Is he still alive? Is he still alive? So I've you? been watching nineties uh, boxing, and it's always <laughs> been Donald Trump there as well, you know. But yeah. Don King sent a stage, but yeah. that'd be awesome. I, I should make, be into that. Should make Don King president of the moon. I think <laughs> yeah. he can be the first black president of the moon. 
and then a vice president, Sephiria. Yeah, it's always the Remember reading stuff. that the, the US claimed that the moon belonged to them because they planted the uh, the, the uh, East India flag on it, the American stars and stripes. Yeah, that was how the British worked. Good enough for them. Yeah. Cunning use. If it was yours, if it was yours, your flag would be on it. See? If it's mine, how do I know? My flag's on it. There you go. <laughs> Done deal. I mean, it's a fact. That's not fake news. That's a fact. <laughs> There's a Masonic Lodge on the moon. <laughs> well. <laughs> there is. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Uh, moon, is. moon, moon uh, I think it's called Millennium Lodge. Uh, <laughs> check into that thing, man. It's pretty cool. It's in. I think it's from. I think it's from Dallas or uh, Dallas. Uh, uh, it's right next associated. to. The, it's right next to the Hard Rock Cafe. They're dark side, right? Well, it's it's only on the Earth for now, but we're going to move it up there once it's become feasible, according to the plan on the website. So. Yeah, I'm sure Elon Musk can build a a rocket, a delivery system to get it there. Yeah. Eventually, it, it's kind of just the, <laughs> the the lodge, the moon lodge on the Earth for now. <laughs> Soon enough, brothers. Wow, what space brothers! <laughs> oh, space brothers! Yeah, where the fuck are the space brothers anyway? I think we space well, sisters. Space sisters, man. It's you know. Oh yeah, exactly. Don't forget. Well, once you kill all the men. You have a problem having more space anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Earth colony, the, the space colonization program, surprising halt once all men were killed, uh, reproduction at all-time low. Nah, they've got their sperm banks, no problem. Yeah, but they just, that's more for like snacks. Well, that's why, you know, traditionally the women are protected. Yeah? They don't have to go to war. The men are expendable. Yeah, yeah well, and, and who raises the man to do, to think that shit? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> like going out there, honey. You know, they're at home watching. Yeah, it's weird. How did, how did that cross? How did that happen? So that's yeah. what I mean. So you know, so to to a degree, that's what I mean. The good to, to a degree, uh, the feminists are doing us a favor. Ha! Huh. Wow. Whammy. There's a whammy. What's their favorite? What are they doing? To pull the fucking plug and five. Project Artemis, yeah. Real feminists work down coal mines. <laughs> you don't see many of them, do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Don't see many of what? Feminist coal miners. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking hard graft. It's dangerous as fuck. Yeah, it is. You don't see any women down there. <laughs> <laughs> They've all been mining helium three on the <laughs> sixty years. <laughs> and what's the need, what's the dire need to colonize space or quote unquote colonize space? As if, if if the Earth's in space, as if there isn't you know life in space anyway. Beyond that, like what's the need to go to Mars and and put people there in the most uh, you know assuming the stories are all true, right? Then the freaking it's is there any more uh, uh, environment? Hostile to life than some foreign freaking planet, exactly. and that's where we need to go put life. Or life live or the bottom of the sea, it's the same. You know, and uh, so Gaia loves it. He wants to go there. He, he said he'd be the first to go to Mars. 
Oh, I guarantee it. It's you know, yeah, it's it's right up the the alley with uh, anyone who loves death. <laughs> if evolution, space is like death, right? If space <laughs> is the future, because because the sun takes time to get to the earth, so the sun is in the future or whatever, right? Then freaking then when you look into space, you see future and what is the future lifeless Death, and void yeah. terrific terrific so this is where this is the natural course of evolution i suppose mars is the uh exemplar of evolutionary of adaptation evolution is never wrong uh it's always right uh nature the, the earth's nature must be the same as the universe's nature right? it's part of the universe not apart from it so mars is dead and uh you know that's where we need to go yeah, That's therefore the we must go there and make it live again. Sort of that the whole planet conquering instinct is like against all odds. You know, we can. Prove oh, it's against that. all odds, all right. You know, it's <laughs> against all odds, all right. The freaking why not? If if life on the Mars was such a big deal, why don't you just send a monkey in a cage up there and just you know there you go have a little banana feeding system, <laughs> and then you'd you'd have, you'd have achieved your goal. I mean. <laughs> What, what what is the what could the purpose possibly be to transplant people who were created for and uh, you know optimized to the environment in which you know created them to something completely foreign to the extent they can't even breathe the air? It's not foreign. It's it's Star Wars. It's all those science fiction stories. It's the belief those that we form out into beehive done such a good job here it's a narrative it's a narrative yeah we've done such a good job that's what i was thinking we just we're sort of planet parasites you know we kind of nest in a parent in a planet and then we kind of basically grow and eat it destroy it and then move on some people maybe but i don't see you know i mean yeah i guess that's the story there's no despite no evidence for such a no, but Dang that's it. the science fiction sort of. That's anyway. the kind of. Is that yeah. it? I used to do that. Is that it? Is that the story? Come on. Yeah. And that's this dichotomy that we're not part of the world. You know what? We used to be. We, the world was made for us originally. Now we're not part of it. We're apart from it. You know, yeah, stranger in a strange land. Uh, in spite of everything pointing to that. Now. It's the theory that um, the Earth is like Gaia is like a living thing. If we really, really were destroying it, it just fucking shake us off like a little tick. Yeah, that's my personal I'm opinion sure. too. It's just you know, it's our um, what's it called? Hubris. Hubris. Yeah, you got it. Hubris, yeah. that's it. Yeah, to think that we can fucking destroy the world. Yeah, well, dream on. What's the other one? The Hamartia, I think. The fatal, the fatal, uh, fatal pride. There's the, like, the foolish pride and then the fatal oversight. Uh, yeah. Your Hamartia, your downfall. Hamartia. We'll get, uh, yeah, nature is the enemy. Uh, or it's at least, it's our victim for now, but it'll be, become the enemy soon enough. And then we uh, we have to rescue the the victim of our planetary abuses. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't launch any rockets into space, I didn't detonate any atomic bombs, I didn't engineer any freaking uh, you know petroleum fields, I didn't strip any fucking you know 
coal reserves, but somehow, I you know, freaking yeah. And and this is one of the things that um, was being pushed through the psychedelic movement, you know, because eventually Timothy Leary was saying, "Look, we have to get off planet. We have to go to the stars. That's the next logical step." Yeah. And what does that mean? What does it even mean? <laughs> the next logical step. Right. What, oh, okay. Let's go back to logic, buddy. Well, it's like, it's like, never mind, you know, never mind what's going on down here on Earth. Never mind all the people in prison for stupid shit. Yeah. Let's, let's just get out of here. Let's go somewhere else because it's fucking cool, man, you know? <laughs> it's, it sucks. It's a downer. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't expand my mind. There's more I need to know. <laughs> right. I need to learn more. I'm on this planet to learn. Oh, really? Where's that? Where's that written? Learn, where's <laughs> learning? Where's it written? Learning is like this, uh, this, uh, you know, the keystone of all things. When you just learned that, what if there's only like uh, X finite amount of important things and everything else was kind of ephemeral? If you learn the important things, or, you know, then what do you, what do you need to keep learning all the nonsense for? Where, where are all these goals come from? You know, where, where's their like logical hands? So we're walking back into the origins of language, aren't we? Origins of what? what? Of, of Darwin? The origins of language. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. We always end up back at this point, don't we? I, I, yeah. I, I don't see, yeah, I mean, I don't see how it can get, how it can progress past it, even theoretically, without like a lot of really big assumptions, which require language that freaking even suss out. Yeah. yeah. The, the definitions game is a a clever game. Yeah, I think they they left an S out of word at the start of the Bible. In the beginning was the was the sword. Uh the B W in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, sword. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I mean... No, that, that's just blatantly not true, though, is it? Because, you know, you need the iron first and then... The yeah, in, and then... in the beginning was the club. <laughs> in, the, in the beginning was the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and before that, well, mm, eh, let's just forget uh, about that. <laughs> Zero. So, the, the, the only, well, the, the only what really wacky thing I'm interested in or curious about is what the fuck star forts are. Oh, star yeah. forts. Ah, well, James is not here. He's James, because James is currently uh, touring Canada. So, He's on a book tour on his, yeah, his new book, Star Forts. Yeah, could be. Star Forts Unveiled. Yeah. Uh, is he into Star Forts? Yeah, he yeah, he's yeah, done yeah, a bit. He, yeah, he's he's um yeah, he's he's looked at some old, you know, drawings of cities and things like that. And yeah, he's posted a few pictures up in the Discord here. And yeah, that is a really interesting phenomenon though, that's I've never heard about until this past year. Uh, with with people coming out, you know, on YouTube with a lot of their videos relating to Tartaria and this type of thing, where they're tying in Star Forts as being, um, oh, all kinds of things, you know, whatever you want, really. But there's definitely, I mean, it seems like a lot of evidence that uh, 
these things were built all over the place. Yeah, the Statue of Liberty is on one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was the technology of the time for building battlements when it when it first came out. It really, right. Yeah, it doesn't kind of have a walled walled you, uh, fortress or if if you can trust Google Earth and you look at them, they're not they're not um they don't look like a fort as in war fort. Mm. They look like something else because they're easy to get into. Well, even this term star fort is something that I think just came out recently, right? Like maybe these structures have never been referred to as star forts as far as I know, but just because of the shape, you know, they sort of look like a five pointed or, you know, whatever 10 pointed star in some cases, like some of them are quite elaborate. Apparently, they've got layers. They've got layers, so they can always fall back and fall back and fall back. Towards the center, yeah, towards the center again and again and again. So you know, Mm. until reinforcements come, basically, or something. According to astronomers, um, um, one as as some sort of pattern expressed itself on on the pearl of Saturn or something. Oh, right, the hexagon, the Saturn hexagon, yeah. I wonder if uh, they were man-made things. They were expressed somehow by nature on the Earth. I don't know. Right. I'm just what? checking it out there, wonder, wondering what they were. Kind of it. The uh, apparently, like they, the purpose of like regular forts, I guess, was to, and um, mostly for the the um, aris, the elite or the aristocracy of that area to protect them from people uh they've governed i guess was the was their original intention yeah the why they're not... I don't, the shitloads around holland loads like loads. really i like, should go and take work, a check check them out uh, to, to hide out during the rebellion until they get some help uh, to wait it out but then also it's like if you have a if you have a bunch of gates they're easy to get into because they have a bunch of door or a bunch of gates right into them or a bunch of entry points but that separates, uh, they're like, the star is kind of circular. So you have like all these, um, or you drew a circle around it. You have all these different points to try to enter instead of like some wall where everybody tries yeah. to get uh, straight into the front or one of a few gates. And like they have all, it kind of like, uh, it's kind of like too many choices or something. But it's easier for like the people to move around. You know, you can position a certain amount of people at all all around the perimeter and they can all converge to wherever the weak point is at any time. Yeah, but if you if you examine them um you know they they're quite easy to get into. They've got entrances and stuff like that. I mean it wouldn't be unheard of unless they had like advanced tech or something, which I doubt. But I don't know. I'm just well, wondering the- what they were you know, what they could have been. So uh, I don't think they were forts as in defending against other people. Maybe it was more defending against nature in some way. Well, well and there's the um, the aspect too where they sort of look like uh, like a frozen water crystal, right? As, yep. you know, when water freezes, it sort of takes that snowflake kind of shape and 
these structures um, look very similar to those. Right, so it could have been a nice, um, it it could have been a nice earth there, and then when it it melted, it took the the earth with it to make that that shape. You mean? I'm not not I'm not thinking. exactly. No, I mean that's not exactly what I. But just the the uh, visual resemblance of of these star forts, so called star forts, to um to those kind of frozen ice crystals, you know, it's it, it's yeah, striking. Like a, it's yeah, the lattice, the snowflake. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a shape, you know, one of the I get what would you call it, like a platonic, you know, shape or something that's just a law of nature or whatever. Yeah, it's geometric type of. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, from a um, the crystal, the crystalline lattice, um, like a uh, like when water freezes, like you said, that it looks like that. It takes that. Why does uh, frozen water look like that? Why does snow? Why does snow have that shape instead of like mm-hmm. a, a square and compass? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, I saw this one video where this guy was. Uh, he was on Google Earth and he was browsing around like the Ukraine area and just finding all these these exact uh, star forge shapes, basically, you know, in the. Yeah, they're not necessarily like marked monuments, but no. they're there. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's intriguing to me anyway. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I suppose it's one of them things that. You'll never fucking know because it was that long ago. Yeah. Michelangelo. <coughs> I'm sorry. Michelangelo designed a few. What? Star Fox? Yeah. I didn't know that. What oh. do you mean? Drew them down? No, they're called Bastion Forts. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, because yeah. the gunpowder. The, the, yeah, because of the cannons, they they would employ because of the cannons. That was it. They paint, you know, because the cannons were blowing the old style uh, castles away. Yeah. So this is into like um, uh, what's it called? Like the pre the pre uh, the pre construction of a city or, or an urban area, you know, and then moving the population to that area. Star forts were employed by Michelangelo in the defense earthworks of Florence. So they dig, they dug their, you know, earthworks to protect you from a cannon. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> yeah, it's like if these, you know, if this sort of structure was um, a sort of convention among architects, then you'd have to think that those designs were passed down over the years and, you know, people knew about this as a a thing to be built essentially it's yeah yeah there's there's no way that they could because they're shaped like that because then they can be covered you know so the the guards at each point can cover all the intervening space between them because they right they make a triangle right they can because as the enemy would uh no matter the size of the enemy it's going to be dispersed yeah you know if you had if you had the old style they could all still go in the front or whatever and even that same amount could still go in the front of this, but you still don't have any loss 
you haven't lost anything by taking this shape where you can defend multiple positions. You know what I mean? If yeah. they still take the same strategy, you can still deploy the same defensive strategy. But if they do a different one, or you know, then and of course they probably would because if every every point of entry or if every place on the thing is a point of entry potentially, then one's really not any more advantageous than another to to go to. Mm. So yeah, it's these triangle can... shapes that they build onto. Those are the bastions, the triangle shape, and that's, they just add and add and add and add. Tell that. Yeah, there's one in Groningen. It's not far from here. I should go and have a look at it. Don't forget to take your uh, offering for Artemis. Yeah. <laughs> a, a eunuch, a, a, one of your best eunuch slaves, is, she'll definitely demand that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I've got one over here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a eunuch servant. Servant is the, <laughs> yeah. the proper word now. Slaves. You like Artemis there, buddy? You like uh you like the moon and stuff? Good, good. Yeah, and it's a it's a strange thing. I mean if you think of the idea you know, it's magical thinking, isn't it? The imagination. Mm -hmm. All these planets in our minds and in our stories and on our T V and and um so and this fascination with the moon, of course, is um you know, psychologically, you could say it's like, uh, oh, us coming to terms with what we really are, or, you know, opening up those darker sides of things that we've been ignoring or pushing pushing down for a long time. That moon stuff, that's moon energy, isn't it? Look at the 60s and the 70s, kind of interesting. Maybe we're going to go for another one. Periods. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, uh, the Aquarian, you know... Um... The, the Aquarian motif, right? It's like, it's not, uh, it's not some, uh, not some, uh, love fest. Well, or maybe it's just a different definition of love. But. No, Aquarius is ruled by Saturn. Yeah. So that's why we're saying friction's coming in. And I like this, love this phrase, uh, deeply superficial. It's yeah, that, we're, that, we're all going to have to agree on things now. <laughs> what are we going to agree on? You know, the game now. That art, that all art is good. That all art, uh, that everything can be art. Anyone can be an artist. Everything is art, and all and no art is bad. Shit, and that's him. And then you're fucked. <laughs> when that's the... who did that? Who was that? That was an artist. <laughs> Andy, Andy Arsel. Andy, I know, but he's now an artist, isn't he? He's part of the art story, and he turns up in art journals and. And on the, you know, retrospectives and things like that. Yeah, it's all situationist shit, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I love that situationist stuff. Avant-garde shit, and oh yeah, determined, mind-bending, mind-bending, uh, you know, reality-twisting art. I love Psychogeography. It. Oh, psychogeography. What's that guy's name? It's got something to do with Alan Moore. I know he. Um... Oh, Situationist International. It's a. It's one of their um, methods. Something they used to do, apparently, or still do. Isn't that where you go from place to place? But every time you go to a place, then there's like uh, somebody with who used to live there, a writer, 
or someone and and then you kind of get into their head and you get into the headspace of the literary world that came from that place and uh, or of fictional stories that might have happened in that place as well as the the real landscape that's actually there is it something like that i think so yeah but i think a, a lot of it was just wandering around urban areas really yeah, street theater um and yeah yeah uh, uh what is it called like um yeah yeah situation of street theater Oh yeah, I know the, what you mean. Yeah. The the Brazilian guy when you the Brazilian guy says uh you take the theater outside of the outside of the theater, then uh then you can wreak uh, all kinds of havoc. Brazilian yeah. blood was that Baju or something was he called? So he's he ended up splitting with the letterists and um Gardibar turned it into situationist international. The, wow. the, in, the, in the in the seventies, right, right? Like, or in the well, in the late, they nearly, they nearly overthrew the French government in nineteen sixty-eight, but the uh, unions backed out at the last minute. Like, so yeah, they're like the the um, the uh, inheritors of the old like Soviet ad, um, agitprop and the the propaganda yeah. trains. Yeah. It's like um, Malcolm McLaren, he was a member of King Mob and they were an offshoot of the situation. It's international. Okay, Baju, no? Yeah. And Bernie Rhodes as well, he was a, he was a member of King Mob, the manager of The Clash. All right, so it was the singer, really out, singer out of The Clash, his mum and dad were diplomats. Yeah. Or spies or whatever you want to say. Yeah, wandering around all over the world, aren't they? Yeah. And even Crass, like one of the women from Crass who did the artwork, claims that she uh, went to New York just with a, a bag of shit and some art stuff and some socks or something. And uh, she ended up doing the front page for the uh, the New York Times or something like that. <laughs> You know, all these globe-trotting anarchists. And it turns out that she lived in Dial House, which was um, where Penny Rimbird, the drummer out of Cross, lived. And um, just down the... It's a military area. Just down the road from Penny was... Um, what's he called? Um... The bloke who started the banana skins get you stoned myth. Harvey Matasau. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was he was Spookville International, I'm telling you. And there, there was a cluster of them in in Essex, North Weald Bassett. And then there's Colchester yep. barracks up the road where the, the, the uh, um, selections for SAS and SBS training went on uh-huh. and still goes on. They're like uh, like uh, Marxist uh, freaking uh, libertarians or something, right? Like they have that like uh, uh, some like some they have some way of justifying how they're all rich, but also like like in mind, you know, uh, advance the proletariat by bending their minds. In, yeah, exactly. But well, well, the same Penny Rimbaud, the drummer across, 
started the Stonehenge Festival with a bloke called, commonly called Wally Herp, but his real name was Alexander Graham Russell. And he, <laughs> he was way up in the hierarchy. And he used to live in Chippenonga in a free house with uh, Ted Hatfield and Sylvia. And they were both Tavistock Institute specialists. And it was an open house where anyone could come in and they could do their stuff on them. You know what I mean? And he was he was looking after um, Alexander uh, um, Russell or Wally Herb or whatever. And that's where he was killed. Oh, that's where he was, he was supposedly found dead. Because he, was supposed, just, uh, he, was just he supposedly, well, he supposedly got busted and was found with acid on him, and then he got sectioned apparently, and then the uh, chemical coshed him, and he got a tardive dyskinesia, and he and he killed himself as a result. But got footage if you type in nineteen seventy six. Watchfield Festival. Um, you'll see Arabella Churchill and fucking Alexander Russell in the same tent discussing the future of the festival scene and all, everything. You know what I mean? And they were like fucking aristocrats. And he was just yeah. a year. He was a year off inheriting all his land and his, his money. And uh, so I think he faked his death. <laughs> Could be. It's a bit. Uh, uh, England's like that, isn't it? Uh, anyway. Our philosophical philosophical death is a more fitting term. Nino reckons, and I agree with him. I've read that in a couple of places as well. Quite sparse saying, but philosophical death means dying from one life but carrying on living, but being a totally different character. You know what I mean? When was it? When did he, when did he do it? Uh, um, 70, mid 70s, 76, I think, was it? Uh, time enough to have just the, the way, yeah. Oh, might, might have been a bit earlier. I can't remember now. I've got all of it written down somewhere. I'm not bad. Until this computer claps out and then it's gone. Maybe they call it troll death. Dying for the lulls. Killed myself to be ironic. You know? <laughs> but I know in England, then you think you, if you follow anything, if you do anything for a while, long enough, you always end up in some country house somewhere. Or some, yeah. someone who's, you know, behind things is like kind of, yeah. Well, um, Alexander Russell's um, legal guardian was um, John Snag, the Burt Race commentator. It was MI5. You know, MI5, Tavistock Institute, Chipping Ongar, the, the old Colchester, SAS fucking central. Uh, the... Before they were called Cross, they were called Exit, and they played at the International Carnival for Experimental Sound in 1972 in the Roundhouse in Camden in London, which is massive. And it was a three days 
three day affair like and uh, John Cage played. And if it wasn't for the bass player out of Crass, it let 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 became Crass in Exit Two. If it wasn't for him getting all the parts that they needed from Colchester Technical uh, College. John Cage wouldn't have been able to actually perform his set, and he was a superstar, you know what I mean? So basically, Crass put John Cage on in London. <laughs> and the the year previous to that at the Roundhouse, there was the uh, international um, um, dialogue on... Um, it was like Black Panther-type people and a lot. You know what I mean? I can't remember the exact name of it. I'd Google it if I had a chance. But yeah, the 1971 at the Roundhouse, if you search that, you'll find what event was on. But the the Roundhouse is weird. It's, you get a good, dead good sound in there because it's, um, it's low ceiling because the, it's, a, it's an old abandoned... Um, where they used to fix um, train engines and that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you don't get loads of bounds. The Rolling Stones were live at the Roundhouse in 1971. Were they? Yeah. The International Summer, on, I can't remember what it was. There was quite a lot of speakers from the US there, Black Panther types and that. Yeah. You can't get past the Rolling Stones. I think the Who played there a few times. Yeah, it's well well known, isn't it? Who yeah. started that? And there's a story behind that as well, and who started it. What, the Roundhouse? Yeah. Is there? Yeah. What's that? I don't know, I wish I knew, but I know, I know I've heard one. I've heard something, the, the story about somebody and how it got to the, the Roundhouse in, in London no? and who started it up. I've never heard of this venue. I'm just looking now. It's, it's, a just... Farmer, it's a farmer um, British rail place where they used to fix engines. Oh, uh, yeah. Train engines. Right. And uh, it was abandoned and then, I don't know if it was squatted and gigs were put on or what. Uh, it's a performing arts. It turned into a performing arts centre. Oh, was it? So it was a it was a situationist avant-garde thing from the start then? Yeah. Interesting. Centre 42 Theatre Company. These are like the, uh, the, rebel, the training rounds of the revolution. Huh? The training ground of the revolution, comrade. The theater, the theater of the absurd. You know, it's like it's all uh, the the society, the spectacle, and all that shit. All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, as you're saying, the 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 uh, the uh, yeah. diminishing line all back to the, the, like the one. You know, back to like uh, some some form of a theory of Marxism it tends to be like the uniting things at the root of all of it. Or, or beyond Marxism, into revolution. The idea of revolution seems to unite all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, like the whole um, the situationist thing. I've only heard of it because I know of um, lefties in the U.S. 
who would consider themselves, you know, a little bit more woke than your average Democrat, uh, they often reference the situation as, as an inspiration for what they do as far as demonstrations, you know, going out and creating... In the U.S., the um, yeah. situationism was, uh, was uh, under a different group. It was uh, up against the wall motherfuckers and up Black Mask. I, yeah, yeah, there was I a couple of groups. Of ben, ben Courier, I think it was, his name, of Black Mask. And there was um, oh. Up Against the Wall motherfuckers. Because <laughs> Jefferson Airplane, um, it, it was a pamphlet written by one of the motherfuckers. And they <clears throat> read part of it out in a live TV performance. Oh, and, Jefferson uh, Airplane. It, it was the first fuck on live TV in America. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Huh? We, are, we are who you think we are or something like that up against the wall, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And then they changed it to let's all fall in love, motherfuckers or something. You know what I mean? I don't know. But they did use that as his pamphlet, the uh, the spook bloke who started it up. Hmm. This is like uh, that, they're the guys. They're the ones that had um, with like Abby Hoffman and fucking uh, uh, Patty Hearst, right? Like that stuff spawns out of that. The, that um, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, uh, what was that? What were they called? The, the Symbionese Liberation Army and yeah. all that. All that. All those like uh, fake bombings and like uh, yeah. Theatrics of the sixties and the seventies, the stunts. Yeah, all tra- all taken from the uh, the old Soviet policy of like uh, take or the bullshit the, the Bolshevik policy where you take the train and you'd have the uh, actors train around the Russian countryside to teach the peasants why they're so stupid that they you know teach yeah. the stupid peasants why they're how about how you know they're about to be free and how they're being oppressed. And uh, the stupid peasants didn't like him, apparently. What are you going to do? Yeah, with, with the situationists, I think um, the the main girl seems to have been always have everything on the brink of revolution, but never actually have a revolution. So everything's in a state of flux all the time. And that's why the mindless avant-garde music and that. You know what I mean? It was like at this international carnival for experimental sound in 72 at the roundhouse that the, the um, where John Cage played the, I think she was called Anna Lockwood. Or was that, yeah, that, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's a burned piano was famous for that. That's really artistic, isn't it? And she played the cello made out of ice until it melted. I bet the white people went nuts for that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, funnily enough, they had um, black ice cream, but they'd sold out in the first day. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's this. I, when I first came over here to Germany, I, I was confronted that's with a, a lot of this. <clears throat> and there's a friend of mine who worked with a band called Minus Delta T. And I didn't know about this kind of. And as he said, band. I thought, band, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was doing this, this weird shit. And there was an offshoot of it. And I can't remember what it was called now. And they invited me to sort of, do you want to jam, you know? And, um, what I didn't, well, what I realized quite quickly is that it, you, you had to actively not listen to each other, you know? Yeah. And at one point I started playing kind of musically with, uh, with the, the guitarist or the bass, I kind of think she was the bassist. I started, you know, question and answer and sort of mimic her and, and basically listening to her and then communicating, you know, musically. Yeah. And she freaked out. <laughs> and ran out of the room screaming almost you know <laughs> maddie's uh this is maddie's confession of sonic rape yeah <laughs> yeah really i went over a border there somewhere but it was really you know and then kind of like why what is this it? world where am i you know that's a mental misunderstanding of musicianship yeah but it's like kind of it was more my my um the uh, fact that I couldn't understand German and and and, and art, <laughs> which is, yeah. I don't, I'm coming in like a country bumpkin, you know. Oh, I look cool, but I don't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> there was this uh, other band playing at that ISIS gig as well from De from Denmark somewhere, and um, the uh, one of the members of the band had uh, skipped. Uh, compulsory service or whatever, you know what I mean? Conscription. Mm -hmm. And uh, they uh, wanted to nick him, or they'd already nicked him. And apparently they went to the um, the um, the embassy and got him sprung so he could do the gig. Wow. And what was, and it's one of these. Situations. One of these avant-garde fucking like. Yeah, that nobody's ever... Yeah, well, this is the thing, minus Delta T. They went to f Wales and and blew a big chunk of rock out of the, the mountains where apparently Stonehenge, the rock from Stonehenge comes from, yeah? And they put it on the back of a truck and they get sponsored by all sorts of people and they take this truck from, basically from them, from Wales via all sorts of, you know, important esoteric places or whatever, you know, you know, they create a narrative, they get it blessed by the Pope in Rome, and they take it all the way down to the Himalayas, and they make a documentation of it all on the way down there. And then all the documentation with a player and everything is put in a, in a, a, a kind of safe, you know, a, a, what's called a vault, yeah, a small vault somewhere in the Himalayas, yeah. All right. And if you become a shareholder, you get a key. <laughs> if you become what? If you can become a shareholder, if you invest, if, all if right, you put money in, you get a key, and you can do the journey yourself. You can go up to the Himalayas and then get there and open the box. <laughs> so it's <laughs> not a documentation. No, that's what I mean. I said, "What the fuck's going on here?" No, when, when one of the guys turned up, yeah, my friend's place, yeah, and totally took his flat over like some sort of general in the war. I thought, what's going on here? This guy totally took his pl place over, had him running around. Can you get me this data? Get me this data. And he was basically in an office. This guy was in an office. He was telephoning. He was paper. He was organizing. He was a head, you know? 
it's got nothing to do with music now. This is about getting money out of the art scene and, and it's all head yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, playing on uh, playing on these kind of esoteric notions that a lot of people may have or you know have now or had at that time. And yeah, I didn't have a clue about the art scene. This was an artist at work, really, in some respects. Huh. And this weird world, you know, which was all new for me. Carol Dudezek was his name, and they were they do things like uh, you know they were also. If they played, then they, you know, sprayed people with water and things like that. And oh, yeah, them. yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Get that, it, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like that whole, it's just kind of like creating a cult, essentially. I mean, it's just basic social engineering, you know, find some concept that people are really into and take it to the next level and convince them to pay you for it. Yeah. I did have some fascinating films every now and then. They had one video when they go in on their way to... Um, you know, Tibet or something, somewhere northern India, somewhere like this, and they walk. They've got a camera, obviously, in a bag. You can see it because he's coming up from this direction in the bag, and he's joggling about a bit. And there's this quite young kid saying, "You know, yeah, you want this? You want drugs? You want drugs? I get you drugs. What do you want? What do you want? You want, you want girls? You want my girls? You can have my sister. You can have my sister, and and all this, right? And then there's a cut, and then you see this guy is in tears. He's walking down the street and he's, he's in tears and he's saying, sorry, sorry, no, I'll never say anything like that again. No, no, I didn't mean it. It was totally wrong. And you're totally in tears, the kid, you know, and you don't know what happened in between. Yeah? No, no, I'll, I'll never say that. You, would you sell your sister? No, no, I never sell. I never say that. I never said that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you thought, what did they do to this kid? What happened? Mm. So it was quite, a, that, that film stayed with me. But, um, you know, it's just about kind of moving the... I mean, you know, it comes out of the First World War, doesn't it? It comes out of this madness, whatever it was, yeah? It was some sort of madness that got in the way of normal life. Mm-hmm. And, um, right, so well, how do you counteract that? How do you, you know? Yeah. So it's just like if, if, if logic was used, all these things, you know, passion, logic, rhetoric, everything was used... And we still did. We still do this sort of shit. What are you going to do? You have to attack roots somehow. Something's wrong somewhere. <laughs> you don't know what. And that's where it came out of, isn't it? Just well, let's stir things up. Let's, you know, something's wrong somewhere. How did they convince the perp to bless these uh, bits of rock they have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. It's like, huh? And I saw the photos, and they saw photos of it and everything. And the, you know, there's this rock on the back of a lorry, and it's, and it's sponsored by Sony. And this is what this guy's doing upstairs, and on my mate's telephone, you know, that's what he's doing. Sponsored by Sony? Yeah, sponsored by huh. Sony and whoever else. Sony. Obviously, oh, okay. the, in those <laughs> days, it would have been the, the those super. Super eight, you know, those kind of um, cassette recorders, you know, Sony mm. professional cassette recorders and things like Certainly that. Certainly you're in for some fucking lit, uh, litigious bands coming after, artists coming after them. With all them, all them tips burning down, they're, they're responsible, they're liable for all that material. Do you think they'll pick up on it? Do you think they'll really uh, pick up on it? Yeah, yeah. Interesting to see. There'll be massive lawsuits, I reckon, <laughs> from the artists themselves, you know what I mean? Yeah. You said this was remastered. 
And all he did was put the record, he put it on a really high-end record player and <laughs> re-record it. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Maybe the collapse in the industry. What's the Collapse to the, the music industry proper. So it's just chat stuff, pop stuff, you know. They say whatever happens in the rest of the place a few years later. Because that's millions and millions and millions of pounds worth of stuff in one place that all burned down 11 years ago. Yeah, but do we believe that? Is it not in the, you know? Yeah, they could have moved it and just set a fire. You can imagine if you're now, you know, a very rich person and, uh, yeah, someone comes along and says, do you want the original tapes? But it doesn't you, it doesn't bring you anything because you can't say, I've remastered it from the original tapes. That's weird. It's a story. You know, you've got to go down there now. Where was it? I have to go down and investigate. Haven't we I got mean, a team? I, I would have to think, like, in that environment of a studio, right, there's... There's got to be some engineer or somebody who would just say, I'm going to record, I'm going to duplicate this master and keep it for myself or whatever. Yeah, obviously. Like, do, what, do they have security guards, you know, watching everyone 24 7? Well, um, I think it was Led Zeppelin. Jimmy Page took all the tapes that they did back to his. He mm. didn't trust anyone with the originals, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. I mean, despite any contractual obligations or whatever, it's like you're in there, you've got the equipment, you know, just make a copy, right? You immediately <laughs> made you immediately made a copy. Yeah. Got one. You immediately made a copy. And he listened sat and listened to it again. That was yeah. But after um exhume fucking Count Basie and Ella Fitzgerald and Kurt Cobain and all them play people to reproduce it. That's it. The originals are gone. That's it. Gone. It's done with. Yeah, that just that idea is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all it's all gone. Loads of just... loads of music. Loads of music. <laughs> it's now just you know relic of history. It all exists yeah. on recordings of recordings. Yeah. In 50 more years, it'll just be, you know, artifacts of MP3 or whatever. Oh, no. They're a hard-dying breed, these audio files. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but Universal Artists are well-known blockers on YouTube. They fucking won't let any of their stuff on there. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Fuckers. They won't let people even like analyze a song, what makes it good, and things like that, because mm. you'd have to actually play the song, or you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially all these people who are dead. So, who the hell's getting the royalties now? That's a good yeah. question. Yeah, because presumably, um, do internet stations still have to pay? Royalties for copyrighted music. 
I think so. Yeah. If they yeah. have a big, if they have a big enough platform to where they're known, you know, I think there are licenses. Yeah. Yeah. The whole licensing thing is crazy. I think even, you know, shops who play satellite radio and things like that, they even, you know, their parent company has to own a license to play yeah. that shit. Yeah. I know pubs over here. If, if you've got, um, super HD and, big screen and all that it costs you like loads of money serious money right football you know a sports pub type of thing really and still so many do it yeah apparently it's thousands a year well they really make them pay and they got smaller and smaller must be no life being a publican anymore no where I train, there's there's one pub just round the corner, and I go in there, and there's never more than four people in there, really. Sometimes there'll be quite a few playing pool, because it'll be pool teams, you know what I mean? But yeah. that'll be 20 people at the most, including the missuses and that. It's all yeah. dying on its ass. Yeah. Strange, apart, apart from Witherspoons, because <laughs> uh, they 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 um they haven't got a music license, so they can you know they can uh, yeah. do things other people can't. Yeah, but that's clever. That's what I'm saying. Why don't the other people? I mean, they need a music license. And then you got I don't know pubs for for me in England weren't saturated with music. That was where you used to like that buzz of people. You know, it was great. Yeah. If there was a jukebox, it wasn't that loud that people no. couldn't hear each other to talk. Like, no, but now you've got big screen TVs that mesmerize you and they're blasting, yeah. blasting yeah. decibels out good style. Like, yeah, I remember the first time a fucking TV turned up in the pub I was in. How old would have been 17 or something, 18, you know? And it was, well, I can fix the date because it was fucking live aid. And, you know, and this Bono, you know, prancing around on the TV in the pub, you know, kind of, we kept, why do I have to look at this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was, it, was, it did feel like kind of, what, what are you doing in my pub? Get out. <laughs> yeah. All, all the, um, the artists on live air, they were like, the, uh, Dads are high-ranking Freemasons. It's all just a coincidence. Yeah. Russ, check it out, please. Is Russ still there? He always never there when... when he dropped Russ. out. Yeah, he's off now. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go for that. I remember writing a letter home to a friend of mine full of cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> You know, right, the funny, funny, funniest thing was was Bob Dylan coming in drunk and like uh, not knowing which way to go. He was, what? He, he was with two of the Rolling Stones. And, um, what should we play? Should we play one of yours? No, no, let's play one of yours. No, no, let's play one of yours. Nah, come on, let's play one of yours. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave a half-hearted rendition of blowing in the wind or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was, and then, and then he, Bob Dylan says something. Well, I hope they get some 
money or something and then and, then and tried to walk off stage the wrong way you know and lionel richie had to come on full of smiles and oh, this way bob this way yeah, <laughs> right. living legend ladies and gentlemen legend. <laughs> which way we're gonna go that way <laughs> How many beans can you find in a tin? <laughs> the answer, my friend. <laughs> this is the German guy over here. He didn't understand. He said to me, so this Bob Dylan song, what is it with the ants? I said, what? The ants. He says, the ants are his friend. <laughs> the ants are my friend. And they're blowing in the wire. The ants blowing in the wind. <laughs> that's quite good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah, they often, you know, they hear different things. There was also a famous one here, <coughs> you know, Bauer. Is a well-known uh, surname here, you know, Farmer Bauer. Yeah. And, um, and there was a girl uh, who um, was on the radio, you know, have you got a request? And then, do you want a request? And she said, yeah, give me that Agatha Bauer. What? You know, Agatha Bauer. What? And it's, I got the power. Ching, 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 ching. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got the power. Ching, ching. <laughs> <laughs> Agatha Bauer. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it happens quite often actually. German people, you hear, you know, and I do the same thing. You know, that wouldn't be so funny because you don't know the German, but yeah, I hear some really weird things sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see. No, I know. I see what you're singing. <laughs> Sorry, I misunderstood that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can go like most of your life thinking you know a certain lyric and then you actually read the official lyric and it's not what you think it was i know <laughs> i've had that experience yeah that's <laughs> funny yeah um i was listening to a, a, blonde, a blondie song an old blondie song i remember from when i was sprog and um there's a line uh real to real is living parrot living um, rarity, that's it. And I thought it was real, too real. Hang on. I thought it was real, comma, too real is living rarity, but it's real to real on the <laughs> internet, according to the internet anyway. I've seen R double E L, real to real, like a tape machine. Yeah, double uh, yeah. real to real is uh, yeah. living rarity. People stop and stare at me, but I just walk on by. I just keep on dreaming. Yeah, yours makes more sense. But then they make the, you know, it also gives it a nice little twist. And uh, so. <laughs> that's how she sings it, though, as well, doesn't she? She sings it, kind of sounds like as I seem to remember. I don't know. Really yeah, we we were talking about voices earlier, and as is dead, sort of, it's got a brassy timbre to it. It's mm. something about it I like. Yeah, I always liked it. All right, I'm off to my cup of coffee. See, talk to you in a minute. Okay, off for the coffee.
All right. Right, so. Any revelations today? It's time for some revelations. Revelation. Yeah, haven't we got any revelations for core? Every moment is a revelation, isn't it? Really? That sounded like the beginning of a rap. <laughs> Every moment is a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I suppose that's that's good for today, yes. Every moment. <laughs> got out of that neatly. Because uh, Yeah, I guess we'll save the save the UFO for next time, perhaps. Time. We'll hold it tantalizingly like some sort of teaser campaign that we're going to talk about yes. UFOs with some data about. We will, yeah. Yeah, because Russ, uh, Russ had mean, some things, I think. And yeah, I've definitely got some things, but he's gone now. So it is an interesting thing, like you're saying, that if you've had some, if you've seen something that you couldn't fucking identify, that you're not going to talk about it too often. And it's yeah. gone full circle. It used to be like, you know, no one talked about it. And then it was like, yeah, there's everybody. Oh, I've had an experience too. Me, almost like a, some sort of me too, um, you know, <laughs> UFO. And now it's gone all the way back again. And it's, no, it's not called you one of them that's had a, <laughs> you know, you've seen something. Uh-oh. Were you traumatized as a child? <laughs> that's how far we've come now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of, a lot of me stuff a lot of propaganda out there sort of explaining away these type of things you know giving people the idea that maybe you know what they experienced was more mundane than they actually think and but nevertheless you know people have a lot of experiences you know setting abduction aside you know just <laughs> talking about seeing things in the sky like yeah that's a whole different conversation. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely, because you know, lights in the sky could be anything. So to degree, they don't have to necessarily be vehicles. Right. Right. Maybe seeing you're seeing the pattern behind something, you're catching a glimpse behind the veil. But that would sort of smack of simulation. I don't like that much either. <laughs> but uh, you know. Yeah, that's or just you know some other kind of psychic phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, a lot of different directions that can go in. <laughs> yeah, that's the great thing about a mystery. Yeah. Hmm. We were trying to figure out the things that sell the other week. Remember? Um, yeah. I wonder where mystery would be on that uh, hierarchy. Yeah, pretty high, pretty high in the list, I would think. Unsolved mysteries. Yeah. yeah. They certainly keep coming around. I mean, I on chance. And certainly uh, debunked mysteries is popular as well. <laughs> People love to see debunkings, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. The final revelation. The, the uh, revelation. There's, there's, there's the mystery and the revelation. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how there's always some show out there that'll tell you, well, it's not really as as cool as you think. You know, it's it's much more rational and mundane than you might like to believe. That's what a lot of these debunking shows do. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 
demystify things. Take yeah. the wind out of your sails. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. But in the end, it doesn't demystify the, the big mystery, does it? You can kind of demystify small things or peoples, and sometimes it's good, you know, you've got to burst bubbles, you know? <clears throat> but uh, it doesn't take away the fact that there's, you know, we still don't know the answer to all our basic questions. Where do we come yeah. from? What are we doing here? Where are we going? All these philosophical questions are still up for grabs. I mean, talk about situationists never coming to that. As he was saying early on, it's the same with everything. Like we're always on a sort of <laughs> kind of that tantric moment just before. Yeah, yeah, right. Everything's still up for grabs in a way. It's just competing belief systems. So McKenna thought that the, the best story would win. Not necessarily the, but the best story. But that is really like, well, what's best mean and whose value judgment's that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's always the temptation, you know, people try to sell you um the next thing that's coming around the corner, right? So that's problematic too. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Let's go to let's go back to the stars. Let's go back to Mars. Let's go back to the moon. How about that for a story? It's as if we're all the uh, producers, and then these guys come in with, with you know ideas for the future. You know, they're trying to pitch. They're pitching something, aren't they? That's how much it's going to cost. Come on, government, whoever, invest in us and this storyline. Yeah. <laughs> or you can invest in a wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like uh, Trump's wall, you mean? Haven't you got loads of infrastructure problems in America? Yeah, quite a few. Yep. We've got some roads that could use repairing before we build a massive wall on the Mexican border. <laughs> you know, bridges are getting old. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's because industrial cities going, you're getting on a bit, aren't you? Definitely. Yeah. Industrial nations, I mean, so. All those, all those old coming. <laughs> yeah, I contributed loads to Trump's campaign, and they're meant to be the ones that stop the immigrants from Mexico <laughs> to America, aren't they? Yeah, from yeah, Mexico I, to right. the US, I should, to be precise. Mm. So yeah. why would they back him if he's got going to build a fucking Great Wall? <laughs> he's building it, isn't he? Aren't they building bits of it and they're getting them? <laughs> going, you know, some money's flowing. I don't know, actually. I don't know. if Are they? Are they actually building a wall? I guess we need some boots on the ground reporting. Yeah. To really determine that. Cause... Yeah. We woefully, woefully, um, uh, inadequately staffed with uh, 
investigative journalists. I read that um, ICE um, ferry Mexicans up into the US and put them all to work at enticing food factories on ship wages and just give them crap digs. You know what I mean? Quite possibly. That could be it. Yeah, it could be. I think a lot of those people too just end up finding those jobs as a matter of course, you know, whether or not ice helps them. Yeah. What's ice stand for? What is ice? I think it's uh, immigration and customs enforcement. Oh, ice. Oh, someone thought that one up, didn't they? God. <laughs> In Germany, ice is the intercity express. <laughs> <laughs> And it looks really cool. It comes in like streamlined and cool. But um, uh, yeah, ice. They can't make it up, can you? They're the ice wall, are they? <laughs> yeah, right. We're <laughs> <laughs> something fifty foot tall. The ice wall. Uh, you never get over that. <laughs> and then Trump knows what he's going to do. You could you could set a fire next to it and melt it all away, but then all the water would get in, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean that's quite a logistic problem there, eh? feeding that fire. Yeah, because you got all the water on the other side of the wall of yeah. the ice wall, and it keep putting the fire out because it just oh, earth would get flooded while the you know the um. What is there just water behind the ice wall? Yeah. They, they don't know what's behind the ice wall, do they? <laughs> they can't get behind it. That's the whole thing, isn't it? I don't know. A lot of them said that the ice wall keeps all the water out. We're surrounded by an ocean. Uh, I don't know how they know that, like, but... Well, it sounds good. It's a good story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of little realms separated by ice walls, like a hexagram or something, like the cones of a beehive. Yeah, and, and beyond that ocean is more land, just some kind yeah. of infinite, you know, plane, that type another, of thing. Yeah. Another flat the, the original idea was held up by turtles. And yeah. right. That was a lady... Lady Elizabeth Blount. All right. And, uh, she lady. said, they said, how, how far down do these turtles go? And, you know, and she said, turtles all the way down. Turtles all the way down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's kind of, and they, they the, the quantum physicists, they, the narrators, you know, they, they take that story and say, and they say, and in a way she was right. Yeah. Yeah. And Terry Pratchett took it and wrote all these books with it. See, you can do what you want with it. <laughs> I wonder if a flat earth novel will ever come out. There's got to be one out there already, surely. No, I mean, like a fictional one based on a 
why you live in a snow globe. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah Pratchett's not in the snow. And the disc is on top of the giant turtle, which is, no, on top of the four elephants, which sit, stand on top of the giant turtle. Yeah. Ein Tun or something. And he sort of paddles through the universe. Yeah. That explains the processions. Now we can move on. But so, um, yeah, but uh, he had a lot of fun with it, didn't he? Get a world and have fun with it. That's it. Yeah. You know, would be a nice world. Terry Pratchett's world, you know, the goodies always win. And it's somehow fair. <laughs> <laughs> People always find the hidden resources to overcome evil. I'm sure someone's working on that, that sort of novel. It's got to be. There's too much uh, inspiration out there now. Too many good storylines to pass up. Yeah. Someone's got to be doing it. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of... Um, there's plenty of substance to go with. No. Living in a big, under a big invisible dome of god glass and stuff. <laughs> How are tides possible, though? How are sunsets even possible? <laughs> right. Yeah, then you can imagine all these kind of mechanics and influences that are just um, up to your imagination, basically. Good thing is, you don't have to worry about why they, how they work, really. Especially that with the sun and everything, and you know, it kind of seems to have been working well for a long time. Even if it's only three hundred years, it's that's doing all right. <laughs> Comes up, <laughs> keeps coming up regular, you know. That was Nico Hopstick, wasn't it? And um, what was it? Um, tvfakery.org about 10 years ago history being no longer than 350 years old I think that's, that's where John Le Bon got it you know on the way back machine okay what was the guy's name Nico Haupt he was uh, oh Nick, Nick Nico Haupt yeah Marcus Allen said what his real name was but I don't know if how true that was. And he was a some actor from Arizona. And he was, a, he, was a, he was from Arizona. He wasn't from, like, Germany or whatever his accent was. You know what I mean? Hmm. He had like a European accent, didn't he? Did he put on a German accent here? Yeah, I think it was a bit like that. And he used to rant and, and spit and stuff like that. Nick out. I remember him, yeah, from back in the day. Like, uh, I think Jim Fetzer used to talk to him, and he was making the rounds. All right. Yeah, yeah right about, yeah, 10 years ago or so, maybe longer than that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't actually remember him talking about the whole history hoax thing. But, yeah, maybe he did. Yeah, that's funny. 
Yeah, it was tvfagry.org. Uh-huh. It was called The Site. Yeah, would be very convenient for a lot of people. It was 350. <laughs> hey? I said it'd be a lot of, it would be convenient, I thought, for people history. Oh, you're cutting up. You're cutting out. Yeah, you're breaking up. I'm breaking up. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Shall I say it again? Yeah, please. <laughs> um, I would imagine it was. It would be very convenient for us. Uh, well, some people, if history wasn't only 350 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, that would certainly answer blank canvas, wouldn't it? What? It'd be an excellent blank canvas. Yeah. <laughs> some people just came in rich, and some people came in with debts. I don't know. Yeah. That's just the cards you were dealt, you know? That's it. That's the way it was. It's a reason. Oh, like inbred families of high-functioning psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, well. That ruled as gods, you know? <laughs> yeah. Still around today. Remember that stuff with um, Jan Eric? when he was on about in Italy and on the Wikipedia we could get in the UK and in the US, it was totally different to the one he had that, you know, that where, where he was in Italy or whatever, because people would notice straight away and kick up fuss and say, Hey, you got it. You know what I mean? You left this, that or the other out. Hmm. But there's loads more information about, like, the, the um, northern Italian nobles and that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think I, I missed all that. Yeah. I didn't really hear him very much. That was before I started listening to his broadcasts and the, or hoaxbusters. Like, I never heard much of Jan Eric. Yeah. Why did he go, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, good question. He's on the list. <laughs> he had quite a lot of info. I mean, you know, it's always been the case, you know, you've got to get back to the originals, you know. Yeah. Anything, you've got to learn the language, and, you know, that's where you can translate them, you know, so you can be like Jay Dyer and say, I've read Tragedy and Hope and whatever it is, and I'll tell you what it's about. Yeah, you remember when he was beyond hoaxbusters a lot? Didn't yeah. He, didn't he say that... Um, which page did he say on Tragedy and Hope it was that um, that Quigley had written that they built the air bomb in two weeks or something like that? I can't... You're asking me that, and that's amazing. If I could remember the page number, that would be great. Oh, it's, it's 132, I think. No, I don't know. <laughs> It'd be great if I did, but I don't. But yeah, and did, was it right? Did you look it up? <laughs> um, I haven't been able to find it. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a, quite a term of a book, isn't it? You know? Yeah. That's what I mean. Oh, so you, you go to the original, it's hard for other people. I mean, if, if there's another language, 
if it's the Greeks, the Romans, all the classical stuff again, then you've got to join the club, learn the language first. Yeah. Yeah. But that's quite a quite a donation you've got to make. Yeah, pay tithe ends to the lodge. <laughs> you've got to learn the fucking language. Yeah. Ancient Greek and, and Latin and stuff. And it seems, you know, for, I don't know much, but, you know, people are afraid of, people have heard talk about it too, classicists and things, nothing's new. All these guys are well up on their satire and their, you know, and the, the ways the world work and, human interaction and everything's nothing really new there they've got it covered yeah yeah my dad's fluent in line wow okay <clears throat> what's he's he do clever, then he's a clever fucker yeah yeah he got a scholarship to a school that was like dead posh so and latin was on the syllabus he just learned it Great. Classical and dog line. But he's still got an accent like yours, is he? Oh, a much thicker man. He, yeah. he still lives in Yorkshire. Like I've lived in Wales for 20 years or something. Yeah. So he, when he does, when he reads Latin, he's good. he reads it in a Yorkshire accent. That really sounds good. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he can speak quite a few um, Native American languages. That's a lingua file, huh? It yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Okay. You can just soak them up. My son's getting good. He's 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 learned. He's got a mate who's a Romany gypsy, yeah, and he's learning. Lacho dive. That's all I've managed to learn. Good day. But right. uh, but he's he's got loads of words. He's got. Is his, um, is Romany like an offshoot of dog Latin? I don't know. Maybe Lacho Dive sounds a little bit. Doesn't it? What's it? Um, what is it? Uh, Carpe Diem. It's, you know, sees the day. So Diem Dive. It's not that far away, is it? Yeah. It could be. But unfortunately, I can't remember all the other words that he uh, told me. But it's great, you know. I go. There's a shop. I go up, and I get. It's, it's a. It's a well, I don't know where it's from, Turkey or I don't know what it's called. It's a burek thing. It's a sort of puff pastry thing with spinach and cheese in it, you know. But it's quite tight. It's really nice, quite tight and quite big. And uh, and when I get it, they, they're Romany. I was going to go in and say Lacho Dive, and then she kind of opens up, you know. Yeah. And then she goes, what? I said, Lacho Dive. And she said, you know, <laughs> where'd you hear that? <laughs> right, yeah. it's, it's right, isn't it? How do you know? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes coming back from the studios in London on on the train, and uh, I'll end up sat next to Welsh people and uh, say they offer me something, you know, said they're polite or whatever. Of certain, you know, and then when I'm leaving or when they're leaving, uh, thanks very much and goodbye and all that in Welsh, and they'll be like stunned because I've got yeah. a half a Yorkshire accent, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they've been, spe- they've been speaking in Welsh the entire time. Thinking you don't then, understand. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I can understand, you know, 
from that then uh, I can understand every inflection that the in the voice, you know what I mean? Yeah. What is goodbye? Uh Tala. <laughs> Tala. <laughs> yeah. That's, right. That's round here, yeah. Yeah, Tala. That's where I get it from. My grandmother was well. She had I Tara's been Birmingham and all around the place. Everyone said Tara. Yeah, and Yorkshire, yeah. Yeah. Or Tata. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I shall look. I shall look at the Welsh again. You know, I have to put it on, but I don't retain it. It's terrible. My grand reckon that um, in the days before radio got famous, um, you could tell what village someone was from, even if it was a mile down the road. Just from their accent, there'd be a, a slight inflection or mm. be a slight, a slight differentiation or a, a slam only for yeah. that area. You know what I mean? Yeah. Strange old language evolved. Yeah, they reckon even dogs have got accents. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I definitely. I mean, I know that uh, I listened to a program by that Yorkshire poet. What's his name? Here we go again. Um, but he he's just going round on a bus around Yorkshire, and he's just going from town to town, and he's pointing out, no, these are all different accents, totally different, and the people yeah. know it, and the people there know it too. So yeah, and that's the same here. It's the same everywhere. That's an aspect of language has to be. And it's only because of you know standardisation and the radio and the TV that we got. You know, every. every Every country has its version of Oxford English, or in German, it's Hochdeutsch, High German. Yeah, you go down to yeah. Bavaria, Bavaria, and when when we go from the north down to Bavaria, they we we speak High German with each other. If they launch off into Bavaria, and I'm kind of lost. Right. And you know, so, um, yeah, same with the Swiss. It's like, it's like in Yorkshire, in certain areas, especially rural ones, it's like. Um, Guan Lao Power, yeah, Craig. What? That's how people speak. He's yeah, I know. Speak dialect. Yeah. You know what I mean? And For me, it sounds like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Have I? Anyway, Tivist, It's uh, when someone asks you for something that's like out of this world. That's what. You, that's a common. Come back, you know. You can go jump up over that gate and over the side of the cliff. <laughs> that and that and Guanalao power, yeah. And now a young crag. That sounds like Chaucer or something. It sounds like medieval <laughs> English, doesn't it? Thou and what? Thou and what? Thou going somewhere? But well, funny enough, the uh, the very earliest uh, prince of Chaucer. They're in the sort of a Saxon, it was a sort of Saxon-Angle hybrid. So we we still speak German in a way. And you guys, you guys, they were, you got, you were up in Daneland. Yeah. Yeah. That was the difference. That's why you've still got all these Danish roots. You know, Vikings yeah. up there. Man. A lot of the place names and the names of the becks and that and the rivers yeah 
they're all nuts. I mean, yeah. In the dialects, there's quite a few nice terms. Yeah. yeah. You're all fucking Germans. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking yeah. about fucking millennia and shit, I think. Yeah, first, yeah, and then the French moved in. Yeah. But they were originally Vikings too, so ha-ha. Yeah. And it was like, uh, no, no, just pretending to be something else. <laughs> But have they got to um, Scandinavia from northern Italy? Have they migrated from northern Italy to Scandinavia, then to House of Anjou in Burgundy and Brittany and that, and then onto the UK? They came from that. Italy first. I, I, I know that I thought, now because I found, I all remember this because I thought this was funny because it all started off with King Rollo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ah, right. And Rollo kind of moved down, I think, into, yeah, Brittany. And from there, it kind of, they all branched out because there was, it wasn't big enough. There was there these, all these ambitious sons of the realm, yeah. And then they spread out. And in the end, they, they, yeah, they spread out, didn't they, too? Uh, they took, um, not more, uh, Sicily, didn't they? All yeah. the way down there, because they were, but they were all originally sons of these Norman kings. who were originally all descendants of Rollo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Don't tell him for God's sake. Oh no. No, he probably knows. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. Must have heard of King Rollo. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Well, if not. You heard it here. Hopefully, maybe, probably doesn't listen. He might listen to this. You never know. <laughs> yeah, we have to put a note up, King Rollo, in the in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Rollo. Do you reckon um, Ethelready the Great existed? I don't know. Nice story. Just, Do I? I'm, I'm on the read about quite a bit about it because. Uh, Someone was bringing him up quite a lot as a proof of the theses, well, theses, whatever, you know, on some site. And um, I was looking into it, and uh, it just seemed like um, my fairy tale stuff. And this lad that um, was bringing it to my attention, he was like a Nazi. Um, uh, like teary-eyed romantic nationalist, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let fat moon Jews were taking over the shit, you know. <laughs> he got about a bit. He had uh, um, accounts on Stormfront and that, that and that. Oh, I see. This the guy pushing this this meme. You mean then about Ethel Reddy? Yeah, Ethel Reddy, and that was proof of what that. That it was made up. That this is not real uh, history. Uh, white superiority and. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and uh, separatism and shit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Good luck with that one, mate. Yeah. He made his little own narrative out of bits and pieces of the story, just to get his confirmation by. You know. Yeah. Lovely. 
It fits. It's a fascist. It. Like if you, you don't like fancy, <laughs> just bend it your way. Well, yeah, we're all guilty of that a bit, aren't we? But yeah, sure. Ethelred the Unready. Who's heard of Ethelred? It's not it's like he's big king. They've got bigger kings than that. They've got yeah, they've got uh, what's his name? The red beard here, Rosso. What's his name? God, I've forgotten. <laughs> That's how important he is. Germany's well, they, king, king Arthur. They've got Odin as well, haven't they? Don't forget him. Yeah. Uh, he's joined. Right, he's a fucking god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but his son, son fights for America, doesn't he? Yeah. I see uh, Jim Dowson been getting into all that shit. He was um, mobilising in Hungary with Griffin before the coup there and shit like that. Jim who? Jim Dowson, the, he's a bloke behind the EL and the BMP and all the right. He's a Lord Sinclair's bitch. You know, Lord Sinclair, um, Earl of Rannock, or Baron of Rannock, a Scottish, oh, yeah. a Scottish um, London gentry bloke, you know, Lord. Not personally, no. Lord Sinclair, you talking? What time period are we talking? Uh, uh, today, Lord oh, okay. and uh, Jim Dawson works for him. Go Jim Dawson runs Midas Communications, um, talking about moving everyone over to the right. And he went. He was in the U.S. Uh, with Midas Communications, helping Trump on his uh, electoral campaign and that. Uh-huh. Um, he uh, he uh, he was involved in the coup in Hungary. He's, he's I think he he might be one of the is uh, the head of the fo- uh, the head of what Mahatma? You've gone. Yeah, it's like uh, your mic cut out or something. Uh, can't hear you now. Oh, we get we've we've breached into the official secrets. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, here we go. He really has gone, yeah? Is he, what, yeah. is he still there? He's there, but no audio coming through. No access available. <laughs> that sort of shit. Oh, well, he's just about to tell us something. That was strange. Well, I, I, I sort of know what he's talking about because I've seen people talking about this guy, this Jim Dowson. Uh-huh. He's yeah, sort fill of, me in. He's sort of a PR man, uh, kind of moving money around to these sort of UKIP, new wave, alt-right people. And, you know, uh, creating media platforms for the likes of Sargon of Akkad and those types. So, yeah, he's one of these, you know, behind the scenes kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Suddenly not. He's, well, he's now in the... Limbs of conspiracy theorists, aren't or uh, researchers? Yeah, very few people. One guy in particular, the Scottish guy, I've seen talking about him. But yeah, no, I don't think very many people know about him. Okay, Jim Dyson. But it's, uh, this is what it says on the tin. A far-right political activist from Airdrie, North Lanarkshire, Scotland. That'd be the one, yep. That would be him. I wonder how much access has he got to his own uh, 
Wikipedia entry. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, he's just another one of these shady characters, you know, working in that scene and yeah. Oh, sewing division. <laughs> mm. he, after joining and falling out with the Orange Order, well, well that says it all. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not right enough for him. <laughs> yeah, it was active as an anti-abortion militant. So okay, BNP, British Nationalist Party. He's got a pedigree. Yeah, yeah. So is he from Northern Ireland? North Lanarkshire, Scotland, but he didn't. He went over and. and yeah, he's all over the place, yeah. Started off in Ireland. <laughs> and he's also been active in the anti immigrant Knights Templar International. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. Oh, no. He does a broadcast called Templar News or something like that. Oh, dear, really? Yeah, yeah that's nice. So people don't, is this some sort of diversion, diversionary tactics? Then? Yeah, heavily sort of anti-Muslim. That really helps. Thanks. That really helps. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, I guess we should just record a brief outro and brief call outro. it a night. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. Let's That's do that. Another Monday. It's another Monday. <laughs> yes. Access denied. And, uh, Until next time.